0: Boom!
1: in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, scabs. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. I wish I was a comedian, late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the helpers like, just like. I wish, I wish, that every time we dive in, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish I wish and every time we love and it, it feels just like this. It feels
2: just like this it feels hello cats and kittens and welcome to another episode of the debrief I am your host Brianna joy gray and as usual we will be framing this conversation broadly around the latest episode of bad faith podcast this week I spoke with friend of the show Leslie the third about a range of pop culture uh, topics and the nature of contrarianism itself But we are perfectly able to talk about anything and everything that's on your mind, preferably good vibes. I personally was needing a little bit of a break from the news cycle, which is why I decided to do a late night stream with Leslie about anything but what everyone is talking about. But I cannot control your brains or your questions, and I submit myself to whatever it is that you want to discuss today. Uh, I normally play a short clip to orient us. Uh, to the episode at hand producer ben just sent me a clip that i just tweeted out without actually listening to it so this will be an experience for both of us together let's see (laughs) what he cribbed for us from this week's
3: episode Showtime claims that the Dexter, Dexter, return of Dexter, which I loved, uh, got was getting 10 million viewers, which I don't know, maybe I believe a little bit more than HBO's, but that still seems kind of high to me. It's just that there are a lot, is, it has nothing to do with the shows or the quality of the shows or whether right, the but, shows are good but or not.
2: What I, what I feel like, and maybe this isn't your criticism, but this is what I would say about that, is that there does, the part that makes me snark and kind of roll my eyes and think it is funny that they have to lie in that way, it's because there is this disconnect between what is popular and what we is considered to be quality and acclaimed. And that is a kind of indictment of our critical media infrastructure and how out of step they are with the majority of human beings. And there is something kind of funny about all these accolades going to a show like The Watchmen, let's say when many, many more people are watching Mike and Molly. It is this kind of like the same joy that you get when there's a populist uprising or, you know, some rich person does a fall outside of Nobu. Or, you know, it's it's that same kind of like, you think you're so great, how the mighty have fallen. You got to inflate your numbers because all of your, you know, award-winning set designers and all the money gets, that gets thrown at the project and you can't do better than a laugh track and young Sheldon. And it's, it's kind of fascinating to me that I still, despite my my populist p- politics, I am still, I, at the end of the day, a cultural elite that very much does prefer to consume euphoria and girls and read all the think pieces about euphoria and girls. Maybe that's because I'm in this journalistic bubble and, like, those people are my friends and I can DM somebody at New York Magazine to come on the show and talk about it. Maybe that's it. But, may, you know, maybe I should be questioning why I'm not watching Yellowstone.
3: Is it? Well, here's the thing. Yellowstone has like better as good or better cinematography than Euphoria. It's just like not talked about like on Twitter. But I feel like any critics who would give it a chance would probably like enjoy it for the same reasons that they enjoy a Breaking Bad or, you know. Where uh, does it air? It's on Peacock and Paramount Plus, I think. Well, that's
2: why no one's talking about it
3: but it those but it gets more viewers than every other show that you're that people are talking about people are watching it people are getting do get paramount
2: journalists on the internet who are like 26 year olds in a in a in a studio apartment in in bedsty commuting in to the, or not commuting in cuz everyone's working from home and using they, they're watching tv on their parents hbo they don't have cable they don't have a box they're probably watching on their laptop in their bed
3: I guess the shameful thing is these people never learned how to pirate It's, it's really <laughs> sad, really sad.
2: <laughs> All right, we are taking callers. Cynthia,
4: you're up first. What's on your mind? Hi, can you hear me? I can. Damn, I can't believe I got to be the first person. I was like this. It goes really fast in the queue. Guys, I'll try and be really concise. Uh, cause I want Brianna to be able to get to, I know the queue lines up and I work in the evening, so I'm kind of like have to share my thoughts quickly. Number one is I said what I said, a reference to Real Housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> if y'all don't know the classic clip from Nene Leakes, you should check it out. <laughs> um, which kind of leads me to my point of, well, actually the first thing I wanted to say, cause I, I do want to talk about art, but I appreciate that during the episode, You shared how you were very uh, kind of disturbed and disheartened at how, like, I don't know, people are handling, you know, the current situation, especially on the left. I just want to say, I think this lends itself to perhaps another episode, another conversation, but, like, the ad-hom attacks, the vitriol, like, you're so stupid, I can't believe you did. Brianna, how are you not tweeting about, like, oh, I just... I can see why you wanted to pivot to something else because it's, it's really disheartening. I think what's the way in which people are kind of handling how to talk about the news. So, (laughs) um, yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. Really interesting questions that came up because, and I feel like perhaps I can speak to this kind of well, because I'm someone who has a wide spectrum of consumption habits when it comes to art. Like I, have my Criterion channel subscription. I love my, like, European art house. I kind of want to be a filmmaker, so I'm, like, deeply entrenched in, like, film, you know? Not just mm. not just movies, but film. <laughs> um, but, like, I also love the Kardashians, and I love the Real Housewives, and I started to watch uh, Big Bang Theory, you know, because my, like, mom loves it. And I'm not opposed to anything that's, like, commercial, you know, kind of like the Mike and Molly set of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just look at it like a diet, you know, in this sense of how, I, I mean, I think it leads itself to like a more metaphysical question of like, how do you distinguish between like the Mike and Molly of it all? And, you know, like the Soprano, like, how, how do we see that? Like, oh, this is quality, capital Q quality. And this is kind of like lowbrow, you know, or kind of like, more consumerist, not very quote unquote good. And then how mm-hmm. do these levels differentiate in, in the, even in the sense of like, let's say like a Candace Cameron Bure Hallmark movie and a Nancy <laughs> Myers movie, we can kind of distinguish that like a Hallmark movie is kind of more like is worse. And a Nancy Myers movie is like a good romantic comedy. Like there's a certain aspect of quality Top there. Top notch. Yeah. Oh, well, I agree with you. I do concur. <laughs> I love Something's Gotta, or yeah, Something's Gotta, is it Something's Gotta Give?
2: Yeah. Something's no, Gotta, yeah, yeah. I, yeah as good it, as it they it's, it's also good, I love, but... them
4: mm-hmm. love them all.
2: The Holiday, excellent. Yes. Excellent film.
4: But then there's like, I, and this is kind of, I guess, uh, um, perfect for the time that we're in right now, there's a movie called The Cold War, which I highly suggest to everyone. I, I don't know if it's The Cold War or Cold War, but it's like, it's on Amazon Prime, I believe, streaming. Um, it wasn't like, It wasn't like an Amazon Prime movie, but I think it's like on there to watch, which is an which is like a, another, it's a romantic movie. It's a movie about like a romance takes place during like the fifties, Poland during the cold war. And it's like, how, how does that then compare in this other kind of quote art house way to a Nancy Myers movie? You know, and I can't like, I can't like make my sister watch, you know, Criterion Channel movies. And if she just does, if people just don't like that, you know, or if they, if they go to see Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey in seventy millimeter with me, and they're like, "This is," I don't understand what's going on. You know, I this is boring. It's slow. But I, I, I do feel like, in the sense of the diet um, kind of metaphor, I do, and maybe this sounds elitist, but I, I do think that there is something to be said about how difficult, quote unquote, art or like slow burning kind of art, um, whether that be, you know, television, movies, or even like music, you know, or books, um, who reads books anymore, hopefully people still read books. Um, but like how it, it, I think there's a reason that it's challenging and that it causes you to be introspective and also make you feel a lot of uncomfortable feelings. Uh, David Lynch for me. So I, I feel your feelings there. Um, that maybe like speaks to a certain level of discomfort that like the large swath slash majority of people don't want to get into because it's more difficult, you know? Yeah. Um, so, let, I, so uh, there's a lot there already. So let me. Yeah. Let me get sorry, my... I know it's just a <laughs> big topic. If there's so much to say about it, right? Like I don't even know where to start. But so for one, New York
2: Magazine used to. Maybe they still do. I don't know. I haven't had a hard copy of New York Magazine in a long time. But they used to have this um, feature toward the back that had a grid with an X Y axis, and it would be high brow, low brow.
4: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. and
2: bad, right? So yeah. there was an acknowledgement that you can separate out whether or not something is good from whether it is is high brow.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
2: really appreciate that because I think that often what frustrates me in these conversations about kind of what is good mm-hmm. it is that there's a presumption that if you don't like something that's considered to be high brow, you're just stupid and didn't get it, which is why I I found the the pushback against my not liking, um, uh, Blade Runner to be so hilarious. It's like, I guess I'm not sophisticated enough to understand this deep, powerful flick called Blade Runner. (laughs) I guess I got to read some more books and dig deep into my psyche. It's like, no, it was dark Mm -hmm. and it was slow and I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it, it, it can just be that. And that's what I was saying to Leslie. And I appreciate about him is that, Okay. If you don't mind pacing issues and you don't mind illegibility on the screen or maybe you think that if I watched in a different format it would be more legible, then that's fine. We have we are able to articulate different values that we're bringing to our judgments, and it is what it is. It doesn't make either of us a better or worse person, and it doesn't even, it's not even really necessarily a commentary on the thing itself. It's just that if you like this sort of thing, you'll like this, and if you like that sort of thing, you'll like that, and that's the end of the story. What frustrates me, though, sometimes... Is that so much of what outside of this the highbrow, lowbrow, good, bad dynamic? There's also categories of things outside of elitism that are va- deemed to be valuable. I think sometimes along gendered lines, and that pisses yeah. me off.
4: Rom-coms, which is like you said, but you kind of briefly touched on it, and it, it it's like okay, well, what is what is in that? Basically, I'm interested in like what not. Oh, well, I just don't like it. You know, it's like, well, what informs and guides the things that we like? Like I remember I kind of had a blow-up argument against my brother-in-law after like little women came out because he was just like, I just like, don't want to see it. And I was like, This is why you don't want I kind of like went off on him on Christmas. It wasn't pretty, but um, <laughs> I I think there's a reason why these things were called chick flicks, you know? And it's like, well, so are men just like not supposed to be interested, you know, in finding love and falling in love? Like, why does that have to be a gendered thing? And then, and then you know, and there's also so. just
2: a, a lack of critical eye that's even turned toward so-called women's culture products. So yes. I would argue that films, like all these action films and Marvel films and stuff that are geared to, predominantly toward a male audience, there mm-hmm. is no shortage of discourse around you know, the special effects and the lighting and the this, that, and the other of mm-hmm. you know, the Snyder Cut, blah, 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 all this stuff. And that's perfectly fine. But most, and I've obviously seen all of those movies. Like I've seen all of the male content. I watched Blade Runner. I didn't sit around pontificating about how the movie is bad. I watched Blade Runner. I watched almost two full seasons of, um, you know, the David Lynch show, despite it being Twin Peaks, Peaks, even though that's like a thousand hours of television.
4: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I still haven't actually gotten to Twin Peaks. So I feel so out of that conversation. Right, I actually consume this. things, and I do. I do often find that there
2: is a, a as the, the unwillingness often I find among men to even engage with the content. Like I, you know, yes. if you're if you're negotiating what to watch with a, a male partner as a straight woman, you're going to mm-hmm. get a lot of like absolutely not to a lot of gendered content, gendered female content. Whereas right. there's an the expectation that at the end of the day, you guys can quote unquote compromise on Godzilla. Right, right. like right. Eh, I happen to be i like I happen to like that, but that's part of because I think also because we're socialized that it's cool to like male things and we have an openness to 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 that sort of thing, whereas they are socialized in the opposite way and it eventually it gets frustrating because I end up in dynamics like the one I described on the show where I basically am only watching horror movies with one partner because that's kind of the neutral zone where we're equally we're equally happy slash unhappy.
4: Right, yeah, that's and that's I think the word- like oh, it's cool to like this thing, and I I mean kick on a diatribe about how I feel like that's really rooted in misogyny and kind of like homophobia because it's like oh if if I'm a man and I genuinely like and appreciate Nancy Myers like
5: am I gay
4: like am I like does that make me weak or something you know, or I'm soft or whatever, and it's like, um, yeah, okay, well, and definitely uh check out housewives i think the thing that's great about housewives and a lot of reality tv is like the kind of underlying thematic element to reality tv is reality tv is like conflict and resolution and i always find that fascinating especially you know when we're talking about these like micro macro conflicts um but again i feel like there is something to be said about like the only thing that you consume is like marvel movies and housewives and you know what i mean like I, I think there is something to be said about a certain kind of depth that should be, you know, maybe,
2: I don't know, at least
4: tried out.
2: You have but to diversify uh, your diet. Well, let's let's pick yes. up that question. Thank you, Cynthia. Let's pick up that question and see what other folks think about that. Mm-hmm. Does, is there a need for us to have some diversity on our media diet? You know, is someone like me who basically only wants to escape at this point doing herself a disservice by not forcing her to self, herself to watch some, um, you know, 70s era uh, Ingmar Bergman film or something like that. What do you think,
6: Jason? <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a.
2: I I've always believe in diversifying,
6: just like what you consume is just a philosophy I have. I think it gives you different perspectives in general. So I'm all about the highbrow stuff, the lowbrow stuff, the in between stuff. Um, dovetailing off of what the previous person said about who reads books anymore. I mean, I, I still do, and I kind of wanted to sort of. Semi-pivot to like even the book world because you know there are things that are even the apparatus of publishing is such that you know an executive is what deems something to be commercial fiction or literary fiction, and what's given value is within that categorization, like just Mm -hmm. a small sort of snippet is that you know, like in the context of Indian English literary, um the literary world, there is like a commercial. literature in india that's in english but as far as the ones that have sort of broken into the western market it's mainly sort of the highbrow literary fiction stuff like the god of small things or the inheritance of loss that has sort of broken into the western market and i think that those were those were calculated decisions made by executives to deem what's important and what's not Mm. that's my take
2: (laughs) so yeah I, i like that pivot i so I have also riled against reading on the show, which is by the way, I'm clearly a contrarian, right? Like I, I was I, I am clearly I, I don't mean it as an insult. I think that I like to listen to people who are contrarian because they unpack things in an interesting way. So that's that's why I brought that term up. But I like to rile against reading in part because I know that I'm being contrarian and I know how everyone puts their noses up in the air about it. and there's a part of me that's like, well, feel like I've read enough books and earned enough degrees to feel pretty confident, being honest about the fact that I'm tired and I don't have the patience to read right now in my life without being yeah. written off as a moron. And so I'm <laughs> going to take one for the team and loudly proclaim that I don't read anymore. However, I have been reading because I have been wanting to get into writing more, and I was talking to an editor who suggested I buy a bunch of books that were popular right now and in some genres – that I might be interested in writing in. And so, so far, I've uh, read one and a half of the ones that he recommended. And the first was this book called The Other Black Girl, which apparently has been optioned into, like, a TV series. Oh, uh, And it's been, yeah, flying off the shelves, and everyone really loves no, it. And I, I got to tell you, it's one of the <laughs> worst books I've ever read. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I hated it. However, I sped through that thing like a knife through but- hot butter. <laughs> right, right. And... um there was something enjoyable to it, even as I hate read it in much the same way that I hate watch all kinds of terrible things. And now I'm reading red pill by Hari Kunzru, and Mm -hmm. I'm like reading it. And my brain is saying, this is well-written. Like my brain is telling it to me. (laughs)
0: Like
2: I can observe it like clinically, but also I am not in, I can't believe I'm about to say this. I'm not enjoying it. I'm like <laughs> I'm not enjoying the process as much like how screwed how like messed up is that like it's harder like it's too it's it's more work or something in a way that is like I'm reading the sentence and my brain is saying oh that's nicely written that's a beautiful right. turn of phrase oh there are complex beams here oh I'm kind of curious about how the psychological drama is going to play out right. but I didn't like consume it like you know uh, you know Cheetos the way that I just like <laughs> rammed through the other black girl and also was like nonstop tweeting the editor like every terrible sentence that I read like are you seeing this are you are you seeing this mixed metaphor are you seeing this <laughs>
6: right, 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 right. <laughs> well I'll just give you my personal philosophy for why I, I love reading so much and hmm. I, I have to say you know as a kid I, I did read a lot but then as a teenager I sort of just read for English lit and never did it for pleasure um but then later in life what I what I kind of discovered is that for me when I read it's almost like I'm inhabiting another life like a life that I'll never know from a different time a different ethnicity a different country um like I think for me it's about the closest thing to reincarnation that you can come to because when you're watching something you're seeing somebody else's vision but when you're reading something you're kind of part of the creation of that vision, if that
0: makes sense. And that's kind of a little bit
6: of an analog to life. I don't know if that's too cheesy, but, you know, that's sort of my... No, I get that. I
2: yeah. get that. When I was younger and enjoyed reading, I, I felt the exact same way. I just haven't... The, the the ratio of things that I read that actually were transporting and good yeah. skewed aggressively south at some point in my life. <laughs> and it became... You know, as the quality of TV and the ac- accessibility of TV, especially commercial t- free TV, right, went up, right. the, and the quality of books were going down. and the and the sunk cost of reading a bad book, I mean, it's just like such a it's it's such a loss of time.
0: Right. You know,
2: as compared to okay, I watched this movie and it was bad. That was only ninety minutes of my life.
0: Right. You know,
2: it's just it the the, the incentives just increasingly militate against reading if I have the spare 90 minutes
6: right
2: you know that that's what yeah. happened so it's not that I just dis- I don't disagree in the least of it it's just I mean I'm looking I'm looking across the room at the rest of the stack of the books that I have to go through and I'm wondering how many of them are going to be dumb but fun like the other black girl or yeah. smart but less fun like red pill I see one of the books is normal people which has been made into a tv show which I loved right. yeah. <laughs> so i mean i, I guess that one's going to be pretty good maybe that'll be the the peak of it all but it's like i'm going to yeah. read these five or six books for one and a half good ones right.
6: but you know what's interesting too is i think you know i remember I, I i was listening to charlie rose when he had some authors on and i think one of the things that sort of especially literary fiction authors of like that high brow sort of caliber I think that they actually relish in the fact that something that they wrote was something that somebody really has to take the time to analyze and like be a part of, and it's hard work. It's not like a, it's not a cheeseburger. It's actually like a steak that, at the end of the meal, you have to you enjoy, but it's it's something that you have to really savor and take some time and work into it. And I think that's also something like within the context of like it's the author who feels like they've typecasted themselves in those sorts of circles. And it's also the publishing apparatus. And even you can relate that to TV, right? Like there's an executive who decided to greenlight all of these projects that might not get the viewership that Yellowstone does, but an executive, you know, was like, oh, euphoria is an important thing to have in the culture. Hmm. Um, so I wonder if there is some, I wonder if it's like a, it's like almost like a form of acceptable snobbery in a weird way. Um, I don't know if that's, that's too contentious, but it's like, you know, you can't go across the street and tell like, you know, like somebody that they're poor or whatever, like get bad of them. But like you can you can sort of downgrade somebody's taste in music or taste in TV shows or taste in books. You know, like I read a lot of thrillers. I'm sure I get judgment for it from my literary you know friends who like highbrow literature. But I read that, too. I think I think experiencing all facets is important, um, especially just in our diverse culture. Uh, but I wonder if that also plays into the calculus of this
2: discussion. Yeah, well, I would say to your burger steak analogy, I also like my steak not to choke going down my throat. Like, <laughs> the, but all all food should be tasty and a pleasurable to consume as far as I'm concerned. Like, right, right. What about like, the nutrition? <laughs> n- the nutritious food can be very tasty. But if, if the food's not tasty, it's not being cooked right. Or you're not supposed to be eating it because it's like a weed. It's like, (laughs) it's poison. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I I don't think that's an excuse. I think your job as a good chef, if you want to be called a good chef, if you want to be called a good writer, regardless of what material you're working with, regardless of the subject matter, you should do it well. And so my critique of the other other black girl wasn't that it's like bad subject matter, that it's light or fluffy or kind of thrillery, you know, or any any of those things. My critique was that the words – and the combination they were put in were dumb
1: right. <laughs> like, it was badly written,
2: was badly <laughs> written. like
1: yeah.
2: and that's why like that whole highbrow lowbrow good bad I feel like a lot of times people are crit- making a lowbrow critique you know critiquing something for being lowbrow that's not my bag at all I have like six emails where I've taken out like <laughs> but this poor editor I, I swear <laughs> to God he did not sign up for this Tuesday February 15th 10 p.m. Me. Chapter two starts. Well, Vera placed both elbows on her desk and craned her head forward too. a tick that justified her biweekly appointment with her chiropractor. Me. Okay. Why the two? It's not intended to indicate that someone else earlier in the scene had craned her neck forward. And if the also slash two pertains to the fact that and I have like four paragraphs about how much I hate this sentence. So like that is, that was my, that was my quibble. I feel oftentimes I'm saying, like, my, my feelings about Blade Runner, and at the time I did a long tweet thread, I don't remember now, that was over a year ago, but I did a long tweet thread being very specific about the plotting, the dialogue, the things that I felt were poorly constructed about the film. And all mm-hmm. the feedback I got was, you just don't get it. Oh, you're a girl. Oh, you, you're too unsophisticated to want to peer into the dark, dank, illegible, illegible sets (laughs) and and figure out what's happening as you have a tension headache from squinting so hard. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, well, no, like there, there are some, you, you can decide that like you have a different value metric than me, but don't tell me that the, the, the uh, assessments that I'm making, the kind of more or less objective assessments that I'm making don't exist the observations that i'm making aren't real you can say that you don't care about those observations that you like the very thing that i don't like which is why i think leslie and i get along but you can't tell me that like you just don't get it and that i'm the stupid one no you're the one that's showing a lack of analytical skill (laughs) and not being able to wrestle (laughs) with the the case that i'm making here you know
6: yeah i i almost like kind of liken it to the fact that like certain cultural products you know or or, you know like if i gave somebody like an like an indian english sort of book and they were kind of like oh i don't get it like for example like the namesake who was written by jimbal Lahiri, Mm -hmm. like it's one of the only novels that i read that has like a american indian character um and if i gave it to a friend they would be like yeah it's a great book but i just didn't get it like i i I don't think i could judge that person for not getting it it, I because it was excellent (laughs) oh yeah no it's great it's great i i think it's lovely but Again, I also understand that the the lenses that we approach these products to also play a huge role in how we how we decide what's highbrow and what's lowbrow and, mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. So I think it's 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 a cool discussion. I really appreciate it. I will also just say that for me when I because the, the other black girl was part of my autumnal like filler reading mm-hmm. sort of milieu. And the thing that kind of helped me, I think escape some of the writing pitfalls is that uh the audible audiobook is actually narrated by asia naomi kane Mm. um who is uh she played michaela on how to get away with murder and her voice is so mellifluous and so wonderful and i think it really just helped me really kind of get through some of the bad writing because her voice is just so great the other thing was is and this is somewhat of a suggestion um like another book suggestion sorry mm-hmm. uh, but uh, the before i read the other black girl i actually read this other ya thriller book called ace of spades um and it had it's kind of like get out plus gossip girl you could kind of say mm-hmm. so the premise is and no spoilers don't worry guys if you guys want to read it um the The premise is that there's two black kids in the in uh, like an elite private school, and everybody else is white. And but they exist in two different social circles. And then this wait,
2: they made this into a show, didn't they?
6: I don't think so. I think they they might have adot, adapt adapt. They're in the process of adapting it, but I, it just came out like last year, so oh, okay. I, I haven't. Sorry, seen it. yeah, yeah. But uh, but this person called Spade starts like like exposing all of their secrets, and it, you know the the. You know the characters have to kind of figure out why are just the two of them getting exposed. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so because I read that and that was actually very well written. It had that thriller aspect and 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 I loved the plotting of it and and you know it left me in a in a paranoid state afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I think that one actually sort of wet my appetite a little bit to want to consume thrillers because if you read a lot of thrillers like. Like racial elements don't really come into you know that sort of genre, mm-hmm. so it was interesting if I like to read a book where that was like a like a part of the story, and mm-hmm. I was just like oh, and then on my Audible mentions it was like oh the other black girl you might also like, so I think I had I was in the mood for it, and that's why it appealed to me at the moment, and maybe because I I, I speed listen with Asian Naomi King, I I don't always maybe see the the words that you, you do didn't
2: notice that. the one. Uh, extraneous two wedged in the middle of a sentence that I devoted four paragraphs to complaining about. You <laughs> know that's a character <laughs> defect of mine that I'm going to work on. I'm going to make sure that I notice those <laughs> No, no, Jason, you can be honest about the fact that it's a character defect of mine, and I'm working on
6: it. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's all good. But I,
2: I I enjoyed this conversation, and I really appreciate talking to you. Thank you, Jason. I enjoyed your your input as well. All right, Eric Gray, how you doing, Cuz?
7: I'm good cuz how are you <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm doing alright What's on your mind this evening
7: Um I guess the whole I, I watched a little bit of that video About The about uh, contrar—the whole point of, con- of Being a contrarian and whatnot. And I couldn't help but think I'm like There has to be a reasonable line between Being a contrarian And just being totally fucking wrong <laughs> Like I'll give you an example. Okay. So, a contrarian stance that applies to me that's actually somewhat rational. Um, um a lot of people like this is more of a video gaming example. Um, some people like good amount of people complained about, um, uh, cyberpunk, because it had like so many it had so many glitches or whatever. And I'm like, I actually like this. The concept is really good. The story is actually interesting, you know. Yeah, I, I actually like it. Um, now, here's where we dive into insanity. So here's the insane example. <laughs> so the insane example is someone <laughs> saying this with a straight face. Someone saying that. Justin Bieber is somehow better than Michael Jackson.
2: And, and I'm just like, were you oh. in my Uber the other night? Cause boy, oh boy, would I, did I have this guy going?
7: <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> okay. I, to be clear, I wasn't arguing that Justin Bieber was better than Michael Jackson, but we were having a debate, which I've been having with a lot of people recently, because as we've established, I am a contrarian. And it's that, um, like I, it's this debate about who the best male vocalist of all time is. And people who listen to me, you know, I see Brian here. He knows what I'm going to say. It's Luther Vandross. Okay. And people will often say I, to I'm me... Not,
7: I'm not going to... I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, I right. was, I was but, still like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be... You're, it's going to be a close contest. Like, But that, people
2: will say Michael Jackson often in response. And I'll be like, Michael Jackson's wonderful and talented in myriad ways and one, perhaps the all-time greatest performer of all time. But vocally... No, his vocal range.
7: Absolutely that. (laughs) No, hold on, hold on, Brie. Hold on now. He has an insane vocal range now. His vocal range is insane.
2: When he was 10, 100%. (laughs) But see, this is the fight that I get it. I didn't mean to derail you, but I I, I have had that fight. I I mean, no,
7: like, I, I look. No, I'm talking like post, like, I'm talking post, like, thriller and post bad. Like, don't don't take anything away from him now like his vocals still on point I mean if you want to okay if you want to throw like I'll throw R. Kelly in there you know um,
2: don't throw R. Kelly in there y'all really trying to get me cancelled I am am divesting from any opinion on Reginald Kelly I don't know what his first name is Robert Robert Robert. Robert. (laughs) yeah yep Yep. 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 Um, but like, that's, that's the thing. I think a lot of times people think of someone who's great. Like Stevie wonder is great. No one can, can question my deep adoration and respect for Stevie wonder. I just don't think I don't find his vocals to be sonorous, (laughs) you know, like I love his songwriting ability. He's obviously a very competent vocalist. He's a, a lyricist. He plays a lot of instruments. He is a savant. He was a, you know, a child, star, all of these things. But, like, in terms of raw vocal range, ability, you know, vocal control, all of those, like, very specific things, no Luther, you know. I
7: mean, I've never, I haven't seen somebody do some of the stuff I've seen Michael do. Like, that's...
2: oh, oh, Like, where? On one song?
7: Like, if you listen to something like, um, uh, it's mainly his Invincible stuff. That Name you a see. Song. Uh, <clears throat> privacy. Like.
2: Let's do this. We're doing this. And I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going <laughs> to. I'm so fucking pedantic. <laughs> I'm going to prove this point.
8: <laughs> Jesus Christ.
2: <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, let's hear what my cousin Eric here is talking about.
8: I oh, almost get that. Why do you go through so much to get the stories you needed?
2: Over time, my Eric. I mean, it's... democracy. <laughs> no, 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 like, it's, it's, it's a little bit into the song, but like, this is the song you want to pick to to show off Michael Jackson's vocal abil- ability. I mean, no, it's just it's just like a little detail. It's not really like showing range. I'm
7: just showing.
2: Okay, like, so where where's the range? Tell me what to play to show the range. I I love Michael Jackson. I mean, don't it's get, like don't get this confused. Yeah, okay, go, go ahead.
7: I'm just saying, like being able Which, to actually like like, I guess, feel your emotion, like, actually, like, feel your, like, actually express real emotion. Like, you've actually, you know, you actually can get your vocals to that point, I guess. Because I I guess, to me, I just haven't seen anybody do it.
2: As much as this is what we're comparing it to. No, like... This is the gold standard.
7: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a little bit later into it, but but it's just, like... (laughs)
2: Oh I can it, I can fast well, yeah. forward. Well yeah it, I, it, Eric, it I does. can jump I can jump ahead.
7: Yeah. You jump too far ahead now.
2: Oh, oh okay, I'm sorry. I'm just
8: trying to
2: Eric, is this the bit?
7: No, no. <laughs> It's it, it's it's in it's it's still
2: in like the beginning stages, but don't don't worry about it. I mean, the like that, that's three minutes in. We're three minutes in right now, Eric. Now we're doing a guitar break, so you know that. No, you're that's... too deep. In. You're, yeah, you're too deep in. Okay, I, I jump from two minutes in to three minutes in. We we've listened now to like the central, <laughs> the central chunk of yeah, this song.
7: There is, but it's like it's not the whole song. It's just like there's one part where it's like. Uh-huh. It's a party. It's just like he sings, as if he's running himself, like he's running, like literally running away from the media. And I, I don't know. It's, it sticks. It sticks out to me there. Um, it's just the whole Invincible album doesn't get a lot of love, but it, it's it's still a fire album. Um,
2: <laughs> but yeah. Okay, but okay, but hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out.
8: story about a girl I met at school
0: one day oh, man, this is my
8: makeup and we toasted our love during milk break, yeah, mm-hmm. milk break. I gave him my cookies oh. so we fell out during finger pain so one day and that was Monday and I stepped up to her and I
7: no because i still prefer i still prefer older michael like don't get me wrong i got a love for the young michael too but it's just (laughs) older michael comes off as more mature to me in his music
2: okay so this is this is actually a really good example because this is exactly what i was talking about with respect to blade runner where there's a there's a conversation about whether something is good broadly where I would say absolutely Michael Jackson one the best of all time, broadly. And then there's specific critiques one can make that might be true in a way that doesn't undermine the initial claim. So I think oftentimes when people get very mad at me when I say someone who is not known as being anywhere near the stature of artist that Michael Jackson is actually is a better vocalist than Michael. People lose their shit because they think I'm saying, you know, Usher or Justin Bieber or R. Kelly or whoever it is, is better than Michael Jackson. No. All I'm saying is that if you were to sit stand them side by side in a blind test test uh, you know, in a blind trial, and you heard each of them sing Happy Birthday or Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and told them to put their funk on it, odds are you you might not choose Michael Jackson or Stevie Wonder over ooh, and this is this is I'm, I know I'm setting myself up, R. Kelly or Usher or maybe even Justin Bieber. That's all I'm saying. I'm ready. I'm ready for the firing squad.
7: Okay. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess, I guess you could like. It just depends on. I mean, happy birthday. I guess is a good enough test. I guess. Um. But yeah, but yeah, like I, I guess the cry. I guess everybody's criteria is just so different on it that. That, like you said, you're not diminishing anybody's value. You're just you're just looking for different things yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I I prefer older Michael because he's away from the Jacksons. He like personally I prefer that chapter of Michael than him being with the with the with the family. I, I'm just to to me I just think he he was better for it in the long run. I mean. Maybe not with all the the stuff with with Neverland getting raided and all that shit, all the legal shit, maybe not there, but', <laughs> but
2: Eric, well, just like having a conversation now has nothing to do with the music this is you know his personal life stuff well no no, no it it also goes into
7: it goes into his music like i I just brought the personal side of like, yeah, I'm not dismissing that that happened, but just musically like i don't I don't know he over, i guess overall he seems much better by himself.
2: Like, well, well, I I would certainly agree that I didn't want him anywhere near Joe and the rest, and then ra- Raggedy Jacksons. But that's a separate qu- question from what I think happened to his sh- raw vocal quality as he as he aged. <laughs> but thank I you mean, for calling in, Eric. This has been this has been a blast. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Do you have something else? Um. Uh,
7: yeah, actually, um, there was. I guess I have a, I guess you could say this is contrary to me in terms of like comic book universe, but like I I personally grew up preferring DC over Marvel, and and seeing the cinematic universe is just like damn, <laughs> like it's just like you're watching Marvel just beat the ever loving shit out of DC in the Marvel, in the in the movie universe game, and. I'm just like, but DC has a lot of better characters. <laughs> like, God, stop being cheap. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we have a lot of better stories.
2: Well, I, I will let someone who is more of a, a comic book headway in on that one. Uh, if, if you have thoughts and feelings about the, how the DC universe is being represented in film, do let us know. Thank you for that, Eric. No and problem. let's hear what Carol has to say. What's up, Carol?
5: Hey, Bree, thanks for having me on. Um, that The whole conversation. I think what Eric is kind of getting at is not so much the vocal range in terms of hitting notes and all that stuff, but much more like how do you put your experience and your emotion into the song? And the like, it's a performance thing, but it's not so much about being on stage, but it's about putting the performance in your
2: voice alone. Um, I can't- No, I, hear- I get that argument. Yeah. And I hear, I personally hear it more- I think it's remarkable that I hear it more in the live performance of a 10 year old on the Ed Sullivan show singing about yeah. a that he couldn't possibly understand <laughs> than the gutter role uh, 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 of late stage 90s. I love Michael, but that, I'm sorry, that isn't doing anything for me emotionally. Maybe we're just different and that's okay.
5: <laughs> I'm sorry, Eric. I tried to strong on your argument. <laughs> um. All right, so I have a couple of, uh, you know, I always come with a list, but um, one, we're going to talk a little bit about Star Trek, uh, which is, (laughs) one, I wanted to talk about why Picard (laughs) is kind of um, dark, Uh, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with Patrick Stewart. He has, like, he's enjoyed his role as Captain Picard, but he's also said before, he's like, you know, we're... Making these shows about gallivanting into space, and we have all these problems right here at home. Like he said something almost word for word like yeah, that. I'm pretty
2: sure he's a he's a socialist on the record, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's why
5: I don't think he nec- I think he gets what Star Trek is trying to do. Like, and I think the only I know, <laughs> but I think he really wanted to do something different with Picard and go in new places, and so the only place that people seem to know these days is dark and gritty. So um
2: he wants to go new but, places but somewhere no man has ever gone before is it good enough for him. Walked
5: right into it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that that's kind of the reason for that. And then I will say that the um I think the best way to watch Discovery, I know you said you kinda weren't able to get into it. But the best way to watch it is to skip the first two seasons, just read on Wikipedia what happens. And really? <laughs> the first two seasons are really not good. Um, and if you jump to the third one, it still has its uneven bits, but you get to the point where uh, they end up in this new galaxy and Starfleet has kind of crumbled and, and the universe is uh, distraught as a result. And, they're trying to bring okay. the Federation back. And I think that that brings the kind of positive positivity that most people like about Star Trek, even if it's not in that same kind of strict episodic format.
2: Okay. But hear me out. Hear me out. I, I will watch all of that. I'm not going to skip that, Star Trek. Like, that's the my... best I can do for that show, but go ahead. I mean, I'm literally sitting here. I mean, now I'm telling on myself about my hygiene habits for today, but I'm literally sitting here in the same <laughs> Star Trek sweatshirt that I was wearing when we recorded last night. And I... I, as a Trekkie, have been feeling a lot of guilt about not having consumed these latest products. I mean, my whole life, I I watched every episode of Enterprise, Mm -hmm. so I'm not going to sit here and be like, I can't watch my girl, uh, what's her name? Sinegal Green. What's her name? I'm Martin Green. Sinegal Martin Green. There's no way I'm not going to watch that. I'm going to watch it. I'm just Mm -hmm. not going to be happy about it. But the thing that really got me, I got to say even more than the negative, the like dark, dark Trek- those are mushrooms i was so tired of all these plot lines about the mushrooms oh, and exactly daping through space the, mycelium like, the, spores, the uh, like the the i understand that the the actor that played the doctor's husband is mm-hmm. a known quantity from broadway and people really like him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it felt like they were kind of shoehorning him in for me i mm-hmm. like he just he was so not star trek he would come on he would like disobey the mission he would complain they would put their relationship before the mission i'm like that's not star trek yeah that's not star trek are you kidding me like tasha yar like died and no one skipped to beat do you know what i mean <laughs> like you got to do your job this is this is the flagship uh, flag, flag flagship uh, ship in the fl- federation yeah. fleet. yeah and they were always having some personal melodrama that that was disruptive that was to the show yeah and and disobeying the prime directive and plugging yourself into the mushroom tube thing like get out of the mushroom tube dude like yeah. you know the risk of the mushroom tube you got it. you if you if you skip the
5: first two seasons again still uneven but it, a lot of those problems start to get addressed and they start to do some, do a dance where they're still trying to meet the audience that they gain that is like does not care about star trek and and meet trek fans uh but i will say this since you're feeling guilty i have never been able to watch the entirety of the original series i've watched like key
2: episodes but i just didn't do it (laughs) i've I've never really tried i mean i've probably watched at least half of them they're not very many Mm -hmm. you know so they're long So long. No, like, I, I, you know, I don't don't have that emotional attachment to the original series because it's not our generation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hashtag. (laughs) But I, you know, I I enjoy them. And I think costuming sets, the kind of anachronism of it all, the horror of it all. Like, I enjoy Mm -hmm. it. But, you know, I watched every episode of Enterprise because it was at a time when Hulu was still free. <laughs> and they put every episode up on hulu mm-hmm. and it was at a time when there wasn't like an unlimited amount of content the way there was now it was like maybe 2011 2012ish and i made that commitment because i loved quantum leap and scott Bakula from mm-hmm, quantum mm-hmm. Leap. and so i really got, was you got tricked I I got tricked and also that was before we had like 15 Star Treks like when Enterprise came out it was a felt like a big deal it was like the first new Star Trek in a real since you know in like Mm -hmm. 10 years since Deep Space Nine had gone off the air and we kind of thought Star Trek was over and it it, I don't know I I just don't feel the same way about these new these new guys Mm mm-hmm. But I, I, will, I will redouble, I will recommit myself to actually watching, especially Picard, because there are things that I liked about the first few episodes of Picard that I did watch, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm going to support pets too
5: Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. Um, two other things I wanted to mention. One is if you're looking for, it's not necessarily sci-fi in and of itself, it's more like, the Wizard of Oz in the way it, that it's set up, but one of my favorite movies is Tomorrowland. I don't know if you've seen it before. I've seen a lot of people on the left kind of downplay it as some kind of objectivist and brand fantasy. I think those people have not watched this movie, <laughs> um, but it's really like it's a it's a movie for people who create and dream. Um, and if you look at it like the road to tomorrowland as opposed to oh we're going to go to tomorrowland and spend all our time in this kind of super uh sci-fi space um you'll enjoy it more if you watch it so if you're looking mm. for an optimistic view, view of the future it is a movie so it's not a series
2: um and
5: you might I enjoy love that, that for me i love yeah.
2: <laughs> i love a, a short a short excursion for me. Hey, I've never heard of this thing, but it's got George Clooney I'm seeing and Catherine mm-hmm. Hahn. I like Katherine Hahn a lot. He can Michael you, Key is in this? Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm. Short for a short period of time. But the the actresses who play in the main roles really kind of steal a, the scene. There are people who are like, well, you know, it's great that uh George Clooney is in it, but you know, he's not even really the the draw for this movie. So um highly recommend um if you want like a little boost of optimism. Okay. I'm um, sold.
2: Cause by the way, I tried to watch that um, Bitcoin thing the other day and I was like 10 minutes into it. And I'm like, mm-mm, this isn't going to happen for me. Mm-mm. This just isn't going to happen. It's so
5: opaque. I'm like, this is yeah, not going to happen. Even as me. he's explaining it. That's why when you were like, Oh, I'm going to listen to it double time. I was just like, <laughs>
2: immediately. No,
5: immediately. No, no, <laughs> but if somebody actually talks to you about specific things then you can just quickly go to a section and probably roughly get what the thing is that they're talking about um so uh i'm glad that he sectioned it off so uh sorry about line goes up last thing Mm. (laughs) um this is uh much more have you ever heard of a show called terrace house um i don't think so Okay, so on this topic of kind of gendered watching of shows, one, I think it's really interesting that or I think that that is partially a culture based thing. Because as far as I know, in India, people are watching Bollywood films left and right, whether they're male or female, Mm -hmm. and those tend to
2: have romantic themes at your center, oh, right? Oh, this is, this, is um, this Japanese show.
5: Yes. Okay, so I explain it to people. So that that's just me um, setting up what I was going to say about Terrace House, which is Terrace House is very much watched by both men and women in Japan. Uh, but Terrace House is kind of like, um, I hesitate to even call it the real world, but basically they uh, bring together three girls, three guys in a house, and the people cycle out as they start to like connect with other people on the cast and they have their jobs outside of work and they actually even get to see, uh, see their shows air much later on. So there, there, there is a level of acting for the camera, but because culturally Japan has such different, um, the attitudes around dating or the public facing attitudes around dating mm-hmm. are very different. And, and there's different kind of rules of engagement. Mm. It just sets up such a different way of looking at the courtship process and the way they go about doing things. Um, And you get to see really cool parts of Japan because, you know, people go on dates and mm. the cameras follow them and all that stuff. And you get to see a bunch of different people and how they interact in the house. And so I would really recommend that. Um, if you're looking for real, like cultural plus dating plus
2: reality TV all at once, but have you, what have you heard about it? So I, I have seen it like on the front of my Netflix and have been interested, but I, because I am a lazy consumer of content. I'm often subtitles. not trying to watch subtitles, correct. <laughs> I'm trying to have it on in the background as I'm doing something else, and my Japanese isn't great. Yeah. So I've skipped by that. And also, um, there's a Love is Blind, maybe also from Japan, that's out right now that I've been wanting to watch. I think that's watch. a Korean show. Um, but Love, Love is but, Blind? Yeah. Not well, they have yeah. A, I mean, it's a Mer- they have an American one, and I saw a Brazilian one, which it took me <laughs> forever to watch, too, because I also did not want to sit and read it. <laughs> But but the Brazilian one was the best one, I gotta say, because ooh, reasons the 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 game that these Brazilian dudes laid down in the cube through the wall, I was like,, mm-hmm, same. I also would get married through this wall. Correct. hundred percent. Yes <laughs> um but like i I will these are all on my list for the day where i'm when I'm truly sitting down and trying to 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 pay attention but, yeah. yeah
0: I, I, I haven't Isn't I so mean I've heard
2: positive things yeah. yeah
5: they know you though because if they're recommend I was like how is mm-hmm. it possible that you have not had this come up in your queue but obviously no, no, no. It's, just a- it's been
2: there a little well, at first yeah. I thought you said Tara's house which apparently is a show about vet, vet- a veterinarian and you're like no <laughs> but then I, I googled some more and I, I realized you were saying Tara's house so yeah I take your recommendation Thank you, Carol. Hopefully this will redeem you post line is up. Because... <laughs> I try so hard. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Carol. All right, Omar, what is on your mind? You're going to have to unmute yourself by pressing the little mic button in the bottom right hand corner, Omar.
9: Hey, can you hear me?
2: Yes. What's on Sorry. your
9: mind? Sorry, guys. I'm about to finish my work shift. Oh. <laughs> but uh,
2: <laughs> No worries. Uh, do I mean, are, are, is this is this a bad time? Do you want to get back in the queue and I'll pull you up in like 10 minutes or so?
9: I swear to God I was going to ask that and I thought I was going to be too imprudent.
2: No, no, no. Look, we right. we understand you're, you're a working man. Mm. I, I promise to, I'll get to you next, okay? Either after Eric or after Rob, I'll pull you back.
9: All right, no problem. We'll do. All right. Thanks.
2: Of course. All right. Eric, unmute yourself and let us know what's in your mind.
10: Hey, Brie. Uh so first thing I wanted to say is as someone who's like a huge Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. I <laughs> don't worry, you're gonna like be nice. Alright, alright, alright. You're gonna like where this going. I okay. hate Star Trek fans so much just for the simple fact that you can make have an opinion about whatever it is in Star Trek and not get death threats. <laughs> and you don't feel that way as a star as a star wars fan oh no if you want if you want to try some go on like uh twitter star wars twitter and just say that the last jedi is your favorite star wars movie people will come at you with pitchforks (laughs) it is it's insane. insane well star
2: trek people are really great people i have experienced this firsthand at conventions which have truly been some of the best days of my life there's so much positivity in the rooms
10: Mm-hmm. But um, another thing I want to talk to you when you I I was really feeling you when you was talking to Leslie about the fact that you like uh, when you like you like to say things like when you said Crash like you like Crash and I you like crash. to bring I do I like Crash too I don't get why people don't like Crash I like Crash also me either yeah I don't understand but I also like to say things that is I like love to talk about the fact that like Green Book I like Green Book. Oh, I haven't watched it, but I've heard terrible things, Eric. Like I, I, like I, like the, like I remember, like I remember, see, I saw a Green Book before anyone started saying terrible things about it, mm-hmm. and then everyone started saying really terrible things about it, and about how like the white savior complex and 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 the this and the that, and I'm like, I didn't see all that in this movie. I, mean, I, like I do it.
2: love me some Beagle Mortensen, who's a hardcore Green Party voter.
10: Uh, he's a great actor, a great great actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like, and one of the reasons why I like to have these like contrarian takes is that gives me a chance to explain why I like something, and also give mm-hmm. me a chance to pro- probe why other people just don't like it. Mm-hmm. And I like doing that. I like really digging in. Like I wish Leslie would have gone a little bit more into why he likes certain things because i like doing that mm-hmm. i like under like i'm someone like because i'm like a i'm a film i work in the film industry i mm. yeah as uh as like a what they call a gripping uh gripping electric mm. and so you're a pro i i'm working my way there you really Semi- know what you're talking pro.
2: about yeah
10: yeah i know, I know yeah yeah, know yeah
2: exactly you 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 were in the biz
10: yes so and one of the things that I, uh, that I find funny is when you like, because I like a lot of different things. Like, I love romantic comedies. I love um, a lot of different genres of movies. And I just find that when people talk about how they don't like a certain genre or they don't like romantic comedies, the first thing I want to do is I want to know, like, oh, why don't you like romantic comedies? Mm-hmm. Why don't you like this? particular? Because I think there's some fantastic, especially in the 90s.
0: Mhm,
10: mhm, and and like I look at that because for me to come out and say you don't like any romantic comedies, just right. mind boggling to me. Like it's what? a whole
2: ass genre.
10: <laughs> exactly, Sleepers in Seattle. Right, got mail. Right, uh, uh, like brown, I'm like even if you want to go, you know, more black centered, Brown Sugar, Love Jones, yes, all those things. So it's just like mind boggling mind-boggling that so I want to dig into like where is it a social thing is it just because you're a male you're not supposed to like this Mm -hmm. or if you're a female you're not supposed to like you know Star Wars or you know the Marvel movies or the action movies so and I'm finding now more females are have much more of a broader sense and more of a a diverse diet of film Mm -hmm. than males Mm
2: -hmm. and I just
10: think that males be missing out
2: Males do be missing out. I love that point, Eric. And one of the things I was thinking in the conversation with Leslie that I didn't have a chance to bring up was that one thing I've heard from men, and I have dated men who don't like romantic comedies and they don't like um, kind of cringe comedies like uh, Meet the Fockers or um, something about Mary, because they Mm -hmm. feel the embarrassment on the screen too viscerally. So they don't like anything that either like is really embarrassing because, you know, Ben Stiller getting his nuts caught in a fly or they don't like, you know, a certain degree of romance that feels too saccharine and um, like it's pulling at their heartstrings. So like I had my, my partner who only wanted to watch horror movies with me. His issue with romantic comedies is that he didn't like any movie where there's like a soaring soundtrack or anything that was like, in his words, telling you how to feel. He he thought it to be manipulative. huh. Ah which I don't, I don't feel the same way, but I understood it. Uh-huh. I
10: know? would wonder how he would have felt about, because like one of the, the movies that made me want to make films was Jurassic Park, particularly mm. the scene where they're in the, 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 the Humvee mm. and he's riding in the first time you see The dinosaurs and you see his look and then you hear the beautiful John Williams. Uh, John Williams
2: soundtrack. Uh. (laughs) Yes.
10: Yes, sorry. Now I sound like
2: the I sound like the dinosaur. You know that? Remember that um meme where it's the dinosaur at the end of Jurassic Park and he like does the roar as the banner falls, but instead it's like the yas meme that was very big like six years ago. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, yeah, like I 100% agree about that unity of soundtrack in that moment. Although it is sometimes the case that not everyone's John Williams and not every soundtrack is matching the moment in a way that feels complimentary as opposed to cheesy and overwhelming. Because we've all listened to, we've all watched some 90s movies with some cheesy, oh, of course. you know, soundtrack. Some, some movies you could change this track out and you could change it from a comedy to a drama because the writing is so bad and the soundtrack is doing all the work, you know,
10: all the headlifting. Yeah, yeah, for uh-huh. sure. And uh, so, before I go, the last thing I'm not sure—I just need to know: Do you have you ever seen Ted Lasso?
2: No, and I was like very much dating a soccer coach, <laughs> and <laughs> and I really truly meant to do it, and I still have not watched it.
10: It is—it's like really—it's like one of those shows you watch. That is, it's just endearing. You just watch it, and you're just smiling. It's really good characters, a really well done, you know, storyline. It's, but it's just nice. And okay, I'll,
2: it's on it's on Apple too, isn't that the issue? Also? Yeah, not have that. Yeah, 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 it's on Apple. I mean, okay, I have to, I have to go and steal that from somebody. I gotta. If anyone wants to email me their Apple password, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, okay my my other my other reservation about this, I will confess, completely irrationally and I'm not even going to pretend to be able to substantiate this. Jason Sudeikis has always struck me as like a bad man. (laughs) (laughs) He seems mean. I I cannot, I'm sure that's not true. Allegedly, this is not slander, (laughs) but there's just something about him that has always made me feel like he is like
10: a bad man. (laughs) Well, I hope maybe this will help you up. I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's alleged. The rumors are that Olivia Wilde broke his heart and took off and so on. So maybe I that mean, makes you sympathy for him. I mean, I wasn't even thinking about
2: it in Olivia Wilde, but there's just something about his face. His face makes me,
10: he, he's a <laughs> he, villain.
2: He looks like he's like holding back rage i don't know i can't let me stop before i get myself into trouble but i I completely acknowledge this is irrational i'm sure he's a big sweetie (laughs) i should give this show a try
10: okay well you have a good one this is fun
2: thank you same same to you andy oh sorry eric i'm just reading um andy's name below okay now let's see is it time to bring back um omar let's bring back omar see if he's ready for us okay omar is your shift over yet You're gonna to have to unmute yourself again, Omar. Can you hear me now? I can
9: Okay, awesome. Um, so real quick, cause I, I like the rom-com topics. Mhm. To be honest, I I think like romantic comedies particularly different movies, I personally find I can't deal with it. But dating shows, that's another thing.
2: So so it, let's let's ask this question: What what is it about romantic comedies, the movies, that you find to be unappealing?
9: Because for the most part, to be quite honest, I just think it, maybe more so the old school ones, but they just, like, play on, like, the same old cringy, like, stereotypes of, like, I don't know. I've You know, I've seen that scene of the guy running through stop traffic to go get his girl back, like, five times, and I don't know how many romantic comedy movies. I don't know, I just find it a little cringy or, like... Maybe this concept of like setting up like fake expectations in terms of like romantic endeavors and whatnot. I don't. Know. I'm being too too much.
2: Well, I think we need to also define romantic comedies because I was googling it uh, while we were talking, was we talking to an earlier caller, and going kind of going through this list of like top romantic comedies, and there are a lot of movies in there that don't fit. I think what people have in mind when they're thinking of romantic comedy.
10: So like there
2: are a lot of like classic like. Drama slash comedies that aren't, you know, you know, uh, ser- serendipity that aren't you, like, yeah, uh, you got mail.
9: You got mail was all right. That was kind of old school. I liked. I don't know if you guys if it, if you watched the breakup. Who was it? Vince Vaughn and oh, that was great.
2: Jennifer Anderson. Yeah,
9: that was, was good. Very
2: dark at the end. <laughs>
9: but that's what I'm saying. I don't know if it's a matter of like the tragedy aspect that kind of made me get into it a little bit, which kind of like goes against the whole romantic notion, but. I like that one. The one that I think is like cringy or like of that sort would be like how to lose a guy in 10 days kind of thing.
2: Yeah, because that's just not... well, Well... First of all, I will defend How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. It's the last movie that I... I think I i, I rented it. I got it from, like, a blockbuster or something equivalent. Uh, <laughs> or maybe it was early days of Netflix, and I never returned it, and also no one seemed to care because I think it was the end of that. I <laughs> never even asked it back, so I have a copy of that on DVD somewhere.
8: Man. But
2: it was... It, okay, so you do not you don't like How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Fine. I'm not going to say How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is, like terrific cinema but i also i don't know i have a hard time understanding why you wouldn't like i mean it's just it's just it's so easy it's like cotton candy oh there's a pretty girl and here's a handsome guy and they're not supposed to be with each other and there's sexual tension but then they like each other despite it all and there's diamonds
8: but they're not to love
9: (laughs) i mean if we want to stick to like the the fundamentals is like the notebook right it's just like, oh my God, it's so extra, and like I'm saying, it feeds into this like idea of like, I don't know, like your significant other thinking that your life is kind of like supposed to be figuring out their mental process before they even know what they're thinking. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if you Omar, know what I'm thinking, right? I, I Omar, might be why, making.
2: Why don't you love love? Why, why do you hate love, Omar? I don't <laughs> hate love. <laughs> <that. laughs>
9: No, no, it's not that I hate love, but maybe it goes. It's like more like of a personal thing where, like, I'm more like a kind of pessimist, like that kind of thing. Like, you know, that's why I'm saying like I like the breakup maybe because of the tragic ending to it. I just think there's something overly corny about like perfect love, like Notebook kind of thing, where it's like. I don't know. I don't know if I'm making myself clear. No, no,
2: no. I'm working on a theory. I'm working (laughs) on a theory right now. Okay. Here's my new theory. My new theory is that sometimes men are made uncomfortable by the sanguine happy endings of romantic comedies because they see it in juxtaposition to their own life and how they're behaving with women and they perceive it as a tacit judgment and a standard that's basically set higher than they think they can meet. Whereas women see it as aspirational, men see it as a tacit judgment and cannot enjoy the escapism because that would put too much of a burden on them to actually be
9: romantic thoughts. Well, yeah, I mean, I think essentially, <laughs> yeah, you might you have hit the nail on the head because it, it does boil down to that because I can just like give it like a, a basic example of like an, an exempl- exemplification of like that film ideology. Like, for example, if my fiance happened to ask me, like, I don't know, like, hey, do you like this thing or that thing? And they don't necessarily want your opinion. They just want you to give the right answer.
0: That's (laughs)
9: the kind of thing that I feel that kind of plays into. And I don't know, like, maybe I'm overanalytic. But just that kind of approach. But maybe, I I think you're right, right? It is kind of a little bit of a fear of, like, measuring myself up to that guy on the screen running through stop traffic in New York City.
2: So when you're watching the 1998 classic, The Wedding Singer starring Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler.
9: Uh-huh. And Adam
2: Sandler's heart is broken by his dumb rocker chick girlfriend who leaves him at the altar in the beginning. And he starts this unlikely friendship with an engaged Drew Barrymore. And you see him being supportive to her in a way that her fiance isn't. And he sings that, oh my God, one of the best interstitial, I don't know what you call it, but you know, songs that um, appear in the.
9: Like a soundtrack the, movie?
2: Jesus of the movie. No, 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 like, not like uh, a soundtrack. Like, as a song that's performed in the
9: movie,
2: I know. see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's singing the song. I'll, I'll wash the dishes in the kitchen sink, put you to bed when you've had too much to drink. Oh, all I wanna do is grow old with you. And you're you're hearing him sing that. You're not like, oh man, I wanna be the kind of loving, supportive partner and creative inspiration that Adam Sandler is to Drew Barrymore in this moment. That's not what yeah. you're thinking.
9: Yeah, of course. <laughs> Of course, (laughs) of course, you know, but I don't know. Cause I mean, you can do it the other way, the other way, right? Like, you know, there might be some things that the girl on screen does that I'm like, Oh my God. Like, I don't know. Something I think I would like from my partner or whatever. But for me, like I'm saying, maybe my pessimist mind is just like this whole idea of like kind of setting up like cringy, like out of reach expectations about love. But like I'm saying, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that might be my whole entire approach to it. About, some of, some of them ahead. are all right.
2: What about a film like As Good As It Gets, which I would argue has plenty of darkness. And low-key, I don't want uh old girl to end up with Jack Nicholson because he's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do you remember do, – does everybody remember this or is everybody too young to remember the 1997
9: classic? As Good um, As It Gets, I haven't seen it. I don't know.
2: Okay, never. I I won't belabor the point then. Although, what's the woman's name from Mad About You? It drive me crazy to camera.
9: Mad About You. Hold up. Um, I, don't, I don't remember.
2: Mad. You know what's her name? Uh, she was also in um, What What Men Want.
9: What men want? Or what women want?
2: What men want? Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt.
9: Helen. She's Hunt. from What Women Want. No, she can with Mel Oh yeah, with Mel Gesson, You're right. What women yeah, want? <laughs> but. Yeah, I don't don't know if I if I did good explaining my my perspective on the rom com thing.
2: Well, here's here's I want to put this out there to the world too. Thank thank you for that, Omar. I think you you really help us advance this conversation. There there are films like um, uh, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Harvard, what's it called? Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. That most people would not characterize as a romantic comedy because I think because it's good. But very easily could be characterized as a well, maybe not comedy, but a romance for sure. And I and I think I think that sometimes that slippage is happening. As I'm reading through this list, I'm seeing a lot of classic films that I wouldn't have thought of as I'm contemplating romantic comedies because they are considered to be high quality films. What do you think, Rob? Rob, can you unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind?
11: Yeah, sorry, I didn't see the uh, the call slide over. I wasn't prepared for that. Um, I'm I'm not a super big fan of the way a lot of on-screen romances work out, and that's I, I think a lot of my own sour grapes on life that things haven't worked out very easily for me, and so watching people on screen bumble their way into unrealistically successful situations rubs me a bit. Um, So I'll I'll backtrack us to a more positive vibes um, piece of the call where, you know, if you ever want to take us down like a Michael Jackson or a Motown or an R and B rabbit hole, I am so here for it. I was grinning just ear to ear, especially when you went and you pulled up the clips and you, you brought us to that auto tune segment. And then you took us back to the Jackson five. Oh, I was just (laughs) loving it.
2: Well, I didn't mean to, I'm sorry, Eric's not here to defend himself anymore, so I don't want to throw my cousin on the vest. But I'm just saying, I I love that sort of stuff because normally on podcasts, you, know, you can't play music because they will, you can get the, the letter and they'll pull down all your content. I don't know what's going on with this. I, I asked the call-in people if this was a problem. They told me to do what I wanted to do. And if whomever it is pulls the stuff down, that's kind of, I guess it's their problem and not mine. But I think that artists should let People play music on podcasts, one, because it's not cannibalizing their content. No one's going to be like, oh, I really want to listen to this Michael Jackson song. But instead of paying for it or paying for a Spotify subscription, I'm going to go into our our one minute 15 of Brianna's episode of The Debrief and listen to a 20 second segment. Like, no, like, and all it's going to do is introduce people to more music. And it's so fun to listen to music and talk about it as a community. So I'm, I'm 100% with you. But also, Rob, I'm going to make you I'm, – I'm, I'm bringing you back. I'm bringing you back to this, this romance because I've got an itch to scratch. All have right. you seen movies like – have you seen The Big Sick? Nope. Okay. That is being characterized as a romantic comedy on this list. It's about, you know, cancer. It's not what I would describe as romance working out easily. They also have Coming to America on this list. Have you seen Coming to America?
11: It's been quite some time, but that's Eddie Murphy, right?
2: Correct. Now, you might be saying, that's not a romantic comedy. It's just a comedy. But that's, I think, the slippage that's happening a lot here. The movie is literally about a man who goes to Queens to find his queen and spends the whole time trying to court this young woman whose dad owns a McDonald's franchise. That's, like, the whole point is romance, and it ends in a, re- in a wedding. But movies that are, like, very, very funny or movies that have a little bit of sadness in them, or movies that are critically acclaimed, they just get redefined out of the world of romantic comedy. And I don't know, that, that seems unfair to me.
11: That is really interesting. I think that um, one point I could go on to, to get on to maybe, maybe more of a defining and dividing line would be maybe how much agency does uh, the, the romantic object in the relationship get like when I think of, of coming to America, I can't really think of the woman's place too much as a character. Like is she more of a a Mary Jane in the movies all about Eddie Murphy? Like how much how much parody do the characters have? I feel like that could be a good way in, in defining is this like a comedy about a character or is this definitively like a romantic comedy about a relationship between two people? So
2: what you're what you're saying is that you don't like romantic comedies or It's a romantic comedy when there's a lot of woman in it, and people basically don't like romantic comedies because there's too much woman in it.
11: (laughs) I definitely too much about the chick. Second, but I was just (laughs) trying to say if we need to draw a line somewhere, this seems like a metric we can use.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm obviously being um, cheeky about it, but I think that there is something about the fact that, sorry, I think that sometimes men. Sorry, I'm like largely meaning hetero men, but not always. But, you know, men don't like to watch movies about female protagonists unless they're wearing like booty shorts and a gun like Lara Croft. Otherwise, way, you know, if a movie stars a woman, until very recently, it's just been perceived as a women's movie. And that is, I think, part of the issue here. There's too much Meg Ryan in uh, You've Got Male or "Sleeps in Seattle. You know, there's, there's too much, um, uh, what's her name in the love book, in the, in the notebook, um, Rachel McAdams, Rachel McAdams, and if it were a movie more about, oh God, my brain just cannot do all these names, you know, the guy. (laughs) The guy and girl think he's cute, and he was a Disney star. A yeah, is it Ryan? If Ryan Gosling, if the movie was more centered on just Ryan Gosling and he goes to war, and Rachel McAdams is barely in it, and it's like basically Saving Private Ryan, but there's a girl at the end, then maybe people would like it, and probably wouldn't even call it a romantic comedy.
11: I mean, I mean, you might be right.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's sexism, Rom. It's straight up sexism. That's all it is. That's all it is. Roman Holiday has uh, too much. Oh, my God. What is wrong with my brain? Audrey Hepburn has too much Audrey Hepburn. All right. Let's let's see what Thomas thinks of this theory. Thank you, Rob. Thomas, what's on your mind?
12: Um, I kind of I, I'm curious to sort of, um, I don't know, problematize the sort of gendered idea of romantic comedy. Mm. Um, and. As an example, I want to bring up uh, one of the best directors of the last like 30, 40 years is this director named Johnny To. He's a okay. Hong Kong uh, filmmaker, networks obviously now China. Um, and he is, his specialty is like crime action movies mm-hmm. and romantic comedies.
0: Mm-hmm.
12: He makes both. Um, and it is interesting that in the U.S., he first became known for those crime movies.
0: Mm-hmm.
12: Um, but the romantic comedies are far more popular in Hong Kong and China.
0: Mm-hmm.
12: And doesn't seem to have a particularly, like, or an extremely gendered audience, right? Like, kind of everybody loves those movies.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't really speak to relationship and gender dynamics in other parts of the world. But it does right. seem to me that Americans have a uniquely somewhat pathological relationship to courtship where I don't know. It feels like, oh, I don't mean to make this another dating episode, <laughs> <laughs> but it does, it does feel like the, the of romantic comedy is often, you know, it's traditional gender roles always, no matter what. So the man is going to have to do something. Yes. And, and we're talking about hetero movies. The man is going to have to do something to court, to demonstrate his, desire a, a, a demonstration you know a, a public or a private demonstration that gets the gets the woman hooked mm-hmm. and we live in a society where feminism has done this thing where the rules seem to be that like women have all these additional things we're allowed to do slash obligations and <laughs> men have the one obligation they had before which was to go and, and make their feelings known isn't off the table <laughs> <laughs> and they feel put upon by having to do that at all, and so it's this lopsidedness where I think women are still very much craving, rightly or wrongly, some sense of courtly romance, and men feel all of this pressure and obligation to do it because at the same time that they, you know, they, you know, our economicism isn't the same. People aren't employed as well. They don't. You can't have a one-family household. All of these other kinds of things that have changed, and they feel ill-equipped. And it feels almost like men feel like it's like a, like a slight, like they're giving up something of their honor to tell a woman that they like them in this weird, perverse way. So romance, it feels like, men, it feels like men feel like they're being stripped of something to have to do something romantic, like they're getting owned by doing romance. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, like, we're, it's supposed to be mutual benefit here. You like me, I like you, great. We're smushing. <laughs> But it doesn't it does feel that way to be I don't know. Does that does that resonate at all with you or am I talking out of my tuckus?
12: No, I that I guess I, I guess that's right, yeah. Um I mean I don't know. I don't I don't have much to say on the dating stuff. I <laughs> um I, I mean I do think that there is a lack of romance in contemporary life. Mm-hmm. There's like a, a an absence of it and an almost like an impossibility of it um, in some ways. But I think maybe is was not quite as impossible before. Um, and maybe that, I think my theory is that America actually used to excel at making romantic comedies. Like if you look at what the peak era of romantic comedies are, it's like 30s and 40s cinema in America, right? But right now, I mean, and you could say even since then, like, American romantic comedies have been generally pretty bad. Like, on a even on just, like, an aesthetic Um, level.
2: Okay, but there's a lot of great flicks from the 90s.
12: There are a lot of okay movies, but I don't think that you could say any of them is as good as, like, an Ernst Lubitsch film, you know?
2: Well, Thomas, I don't know who Ernst Lubitsch is, but I know that (laughs) She's (laughs) All That was a
12: banger. (laughs) Right, but Ernst Lubitsch... Ertzovich made the shop around the corner uh, in 1940, which is what basically you've got mail ripped off for the okay. 90s. I He's don't, basically I, laid down the grammar for the contemporary like American romantic comedy.
2: I don't know what your metric is, but here are is reading from a list of top 2090 romantic comedies ranked, wow. and I'm seeing a lot of films that I loved. Problematic, whatever, Pretty Woman, <laughs> The Wedding Singer is number 18 uh waiting to exhale is number 16 sleepless in seattle's 15 there's something about mary 14 hazella's got her groove back 13 something called double happiness i'm not familiar with 10 things i hate about you is 11 benny and june another i have not familiar with but i'm a cheerleader excellent Blast from the past. Oh, remember Brendan Fraser? Excellent. (laughs) Notting Hill. He's coming
12: back. He's coming back.
2: While you were sleeping with Sandra Bullock and and what's his name with the brows? I have no idea. You know, what's his name with the brows? From Orange County. (laughs) You play Sandy, the dad. With the brows. With the brows. My mom thinks he's really cute. It's not Uh, important. You know, the, the point is, like, I think a lot of these films they might be light, they might not be
12: cinema, <laughs> but they're no, no, great but er, films. Ernst Lubitsch, Ernst Lubitsch movies are generally like frothy, like, sex comedies. Like, they're all very light and fat. It's not like they're not a Bergman film, you know? Like, but his attention to form and like ideas and style and structure is like much more serious. Then, you know, where you're getting a lot of journeyman directors that are making these movies that you mentioned for the most part. There are a few exceptions.
2: Mm, okay. First of all, half of the nineties rom coms, the teen rom coms, were literal
12: Shakespeare.
2: Okay. She's all that, Ten Things I yeah, Hate th- About th- You, th- all of those are based on works of Shakespeare. <laughs>
12: Right. But did Shakespeare <laughs> like direct it? Uh, that doesn't mean, okay. No, but you're We're talking gonna, about form. Yeah. You
2: didn't say directorial talent,
12: sir. You no, no, literally form, just
2: made a reference to form and structure. And these, film, the form and structure of these films is literally mapped on scene to scene. No, to these works film, that are considered to be great works of literature.
12: In, in film, form means things like mise en scene, like cinematography, editing, like all that. That's film form. Okay. Yes. And do you have a critique of the
2: film form of "She's All That," or have you not seen "She's All That"?
12: No, I I probably exactly. So we
2: we get back to the original point where a lot of the people who are making these critiques haven't actually watched the content, and you can say what you you want about me not liking. um, Have you watched "Trouble in Paradise"? Well, I didn't say anything about Trouble in Paradise. I've never but heard you of don't, this film.
12: I'm but you not don't offering have the context then.
2: Yeah, but I haven't made a single criticism of Trouble in Paradise. You're the one that's saying that nineties romantic comedies aren't quality as compared to these ones in the forties without having
12: apparently watched them. I mean I've seen I've seen a, I've seen a lot of the ones you mentioned. I haven't seen that one. Okay, so, like so tell me I which of the ones or whatever.
2: What what was your tell me your critique? Why don't you like Ten Things I Hate About You?
12: I mean, like indifferently shot and put together. I mean, compared honestly, I will say though, compared to romantic comedies made like in the last few years, like looks like a tour de force of style. What what's
2: <laughs> what what is an example of an indifferently shot scene in Ten Things I Hate About You? Help me understand what uh, it means to be indifferently okay. shot because I remember finding it to be very compelling, legible, well paced, well cast, a sweet a, a sweet and kind of perfectly done little teen comedy.
12: Yeah, it's certainly it's. I think it's. I think it's competent, but it's not transcendent. Okay. That's the but standard I, now.
2: We're, we're asking if movies are transcendent to be,
12: to, to be great. Yeah. I mean, isn't, what else would you be if we, to be like a great movie?
2: No, I just, I just am asking why people don't like, why men don't oh. like romantic comedies, not why they don't find them to be transcendent.
12: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like romantic comedies if they're good. I don't care what <laughs> genre anything is.
2: Can you name like, a, what's a romantic comedy you think is good? That's, you know, in color.
12: That's in color. Oh, (laughs) uh, yeah. Don't go breaking my heart and don't go breaking my heart too. Hello. I'm here. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Did you catch that?
2: What, where, when is this film from?
12: Uh, the first one is from
2: 2011. Oh, this is a film from Hong Kong. Okay. Thank you, yeah. Thomas. I appreciate your your input. I mean, like you like know, I had, look I look, are, Thomas. Like look, like, you're gonna I name films. I'm, lame, I, I'm you know. gonna be honest with you about how I think about what your taste level is here. You are someone who is never going to like a mainstream American movie. And that's fine.
12: No, but I it I be confidently made. You,
2: if, if you can't name a single mainstream American movie you, that you like, this is where we're getting back to the Leslie conversation. Wait, okay. I feel like it's not about making real judgments about these things. It's like the idea of the broadly loved pop culture thing not being your bag. So you're going to go to 1940 or you're going to go to Hong Kong to find the film well, so- that's like
12: no one else has seen but you. Come on, hey, Thomas. You. I do like some mainstream American movies, but I don't think I, – I, my argument is that they don't make romantic comedies well today. So I can't name a mainstream American romantic comedy from, like, the last five years that I've liked. I mean, I could probably name some other genre that they maybe do a little bit better.
2: Can you name a mainstream American movie of any genre from the last five years that you like?
12: Uh, okay, who counts as ma- – does Corsese count as mainstream? That's a pretty easy – a lot of people like that.
2: <laughs> you don't even have to go any farther.
12: Does it not? I don't, I don't know. No, sure,
2: it's it's mainstream, Thomas, but I think it's like the example that yeah, kind of no. proves proves the case. A little bit. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be giving you a hard time, but I think I think this is so fascinating because here's the thing. I know that I'm contrarian in certain ways. Like, I know that I am. And it's just interesting to me when people will, like, acknowledge that, yes, they find something appealing about the fact that something isn't broadly known or consumed. There's something wrong with that. You know, the word hipster didn't come out of nowhere. You know, like, if there's something right. about, a well, lot of people feel that way. But people, for some reason, like, just don't want to admit it.
12: Yeah, but how about, okay, for instance, I would actually argue in favor of most of the resident Evil. That's sufficiently lowbrow and popular for you? I mean I
2: haven't I haven't seen that but like we'll we'll put that to the audience. Okay. We'll put that to the audience. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you for entertaining me. You've been a very good star. <laughs> <laughs> no
12: problem. All
2: right. Micah, what do you think? Is 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 Thomas getting a pass for liking the Resident Evil movies?
13: <laughs> <laughs> um Honestly, like, I have no idea. I've only seen the first two, and it was a long time ago. That sounds
2: legitimate. <laughs> two, two full movies. How many of them are there? A lot. Oh, okay. There's like six <laughs> or
13: something. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, well Michael, let me, let me let you ask your own question and not just do a piggyback. Okay. on your mind.
13: I, I'll, I'll make several comments. One, like, uh, I just want to, like, preface or, like, give a little bit of my perspective. Like, uh, I was, I'm the youngest of nine. And I have seven older sisters and a very domineering, or at least when I was growing up, mother. <laughs> um, okay. So so like a very, very maternal, very female-dominated household is how I grew up. Um, and that was just kind of like my world. Uh, so like, but I will say I agree with like the, the general, like, I think a lot of men don't watch something or they'll scoff at it or say like whatever they're gonna say because they because they think it's you know stupid or girly or whatever and I there's like a sexist element to that I'm sure
0: Mm
13: -hmm. um for me like I find that like even in some ways like more so than real life Movies and books and stuff kind of like affect me very strongly emotionally. So, like, I almost have an aversion to watching a lot of that stuff now. I'm not saying I'm not placing a value judgment on it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't like to watch romance necessarily per se because not because it's not good, but because if it is good and I get drawn into it, which I will if I allow myself to, it's gonna like make me feel stuff that like exhaust me emotionally yeah
2: you're like my you're like my last boyfriend
13: that's exactly
2: how I felt like it was it was just too much
13: yeah i i mean and i and i don't know what that says about me that's just like the reality of it for me do you feel
2: that way though about films that are kind of emotionally engaging but not in a romantic context
13: I, like, are you not going to want to
2: watch a film about war or cancer no, no. or...
13: I, I actually feel that way about everything. In fact, like, it's gotten stronger the older I've gotten. So I almost have, like, just, like, moved away from almost all, like, film. Like, it takes a lot for me to... I, I, I like, like, fantasy. I need to be, like, pulled in a completely different world in order to, like, be emotionally separate enough to like mm. really enjoy whatever it is unless yeah. it's just pure nonsense. I don't know.
2: I definitely like that. Sometimes when I talk about my escapism, I want it to be just, when I say I wanted it to be so dumb, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like sometimes I, I went, I recently went through a list of um whatever the Oscar bait or whatever it is for the year to try to go to re watch them. And after making a list of movies that I wanted to see, we then went through the list again to see what we wanted to watch that evening. And I found myself being like, "Mm, I'm not emotionally prepared for this. I'm not emotionally prepared for that. And there are genres that are very dramatic and emotional, but they have so little to do with my own life. Oh, it's the struggles of parenthood or whatever, That it's just Mm -hmm. just not my problem. So I'm happy to watch it. Right. There's other stuff that, you know, troubles me romance. However, unless someone is like, dying or something if it's just truly romantic comedy and everything works out to me it's like the easiest because it works out (laughs) right it's gonna be okay
13: well i definitely agree with you just in terms of like how you feel if you do watch it and it's you know and when it's over but you know i guess for me it's just like a matter of like getting over the hump of actually like engaging with something
2: what's the last movie that you really liked micah
13: Oh, I don't know. I haven't watched very many movies lately.
2: Do you have a favorite film?
13: I mean like all time favorite uh I'm like a huge token nerd, so mm-hmm. like I really like the Lord of the Rings. Um,
2: I like the ones with the trees
13: <laughs> yeah, right but I like it because i'm because of the trees like I like was born in the city, but I'm a, kind of like a like an outdoor nut. So I like to, like...
2: I mean, the ints. That's what they're called, right? The
13: ints. Yeah, right. Yeah.
2: yeah. I'm a the big Ents. And Enthead. An free
13: head. Beard and, and everything. <laughs> yeah, I, but I mean, like, I don't know if you ever read the books, but it's, like, mm-hmm. even better in the books. Mm-hmm. But I don't I know. I read it's,
2: one. A, I read The Hobbit and then the first one.
13: Yeah. It's you, it's, you know, take maybe a particular type of person, but it's, you know, that's what I like about fantasy. Also, I wanted to make a comment about... um like, in general, like, being a contrarian,
0: mm-hmm.
13: I definitely, like, notice with myself that... And, and like, as a small child, like, whenever I would say something that was, like, stupid or ignorant or not, like, um, my own opinion, just, like, something I parroted from somebody else, I would generally have, like, my siblings bring the hammer down on me. So, mm-hmm. for me, it's, like, I play devil's advocate without even thinking about it you know like i'm always going to like if somebody has a particularly strong belief it doesn't matter what i think my innate response is just to like be like really well did you think about this you know (laughs) well actually I think, like, that's being contrarian <laughs> oh to me. but And I also, like, just enjoy the process of forcing people to think about stuff. Because I like to be forced about to think about stuff that I don't normally. So, I, I don't know. I just sort of assume that position wherever, like, in whatever kind of context I'm in.
2: Yeah, I, I hear that. And I hear myself in that. And I'm realizing that I'm the guy on the date I complain about all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna sit with that and think about that and maybe bring it up with my therapist thank you micah
13: <laughs> Yeah. have a good night thanks for, have a uh, good night
2: <laughs> bye-bye uh matt meet yourself and let us know what's on your mind
14: hey there can you hear me just fine i can all right sweet am i gonna ruin your night if i say i want to bring up ukraine
2: let's get some emojis going how do people feel about this pivot and subject matter i'll do whatever the emojis i got say. i
14: got i got unhappy stuff coming in you can ask me look so oh someone someone seemed happy about it but um <laughs> anyway the thing is i don't actually consume that much media so this is this is a topic that's largely out of what i what i know about however i was very passionate about the uh the last debrief that we did and I was not able able to make it into talk. So I will, I will entertain your conversation a little bit. If you want to ask me questions about rom cons and whatnot, if we can, we can also tap into Ukraine. Would that be okay? This is okay. your podcast.
2: I, I, I will let you ask a question about Ukraine. I am as evidenced by the feedback that I got from all of you, I'm a dumb piece of shit, and I don't know anything about Ukraine, so I can't promise I'm going to answer you. I'm just going to shrug my shoulders and say I don't know. Go listen to someone who knows more than me. But you are more than welcome to ask your question about it. And uh, but first, you have to tell me what the best romantic comedy of all time is.
14: See, I just haven't watched it. Like my my interests in media are very narrow. They're related to normally action and like fantasy adventure anime mm-hmm. or. Movies and other stuff. I'm a huge fantasy buff. So Lord of the Rings.
2: Is there no romance uh, in
14: anime? No, the, for certainly there are, but there's nothing that's plotlined is centered first and foremost around romance. Like I don't think there's a romance. I wouldn't say I've seen a romance anime. I've seen anime that of course have romance in it. It's an important part of, you know, damn near every story that we tell. But uh, I can't think of anything where, where it's advertised or primarily centered around, you know, a romantic relationship between two people
2: Matt do you um date women not that it's I mean yeah you, I'm straight
14: okay. yes yes <laughs> um
2: and are you you know can you remember the last time that you uh your your female partner picked a flick that was perhaps gendered in some way
14: yeah, okay that would have been like high school okay um, do you remember so, what she wanted to watch um I'm pretty sure I've seen The Notebook and some other stuff long ago, but that was... I mean, I barely remember the whole movie. I don't have a great episodic memory, so do I remember don't remember too much of them.
2: F- hey, Do you remember how you felt about The Notebook?
14: Um, I, I definitely say that I've seen rom-coms before, and my impression of them was, I liked this, but not enough to make me want to seek it out again. Like, I don't remember wriggling in my chair and feeling uncomfortable. Um, but, you know... There's only so many hours in the day, and so when I, when I have my time to decompress and seek out things that I'm interested in, romantic comedies do not make their way to the top of the list.
2: Okay, so. I have just a couple of follow-up questions. When you were, uh, how, how old are you?
14: I'm 20, uh, almost 29 next month.
2: Okay, so you're, okay, so what Disney movies would have been out when you were
14: a kid, did you, seen, what,
2: like, Mulan in that, I guess? Was that, like, when kid when that came out? Uh,
14: I mean, I, as a little kid, you don't know what's coming out and what your parents are showing you. But I saw The Lion King, Aladdin, Little Mermaid, I, you know, all, all the classics. Did you like you know, I Little guess, Mermaid? Yes. I, shit, I still like Disney songs. I will pull them up voluntarily and listen to them in the car. So I mm-hmm. love Kiss the Girl. I could almost sing it along I, with you. That's probably so when We got funny. started. I'm literally,
2: so. I just typed in before you said that
14: yeah
8: streams, <laughs> words yeah, you see um it. I won't I won't yeah, take this with get Disney ahead? because
2: then we're really gonna <laughs> <laughs> then we're really gonna get sued uh, right. but okay so that is I mean it's, I don't know if you would call it a comedy but it's definitely a romance
14: for sure yeah absolutely
2: so, so are we saying that The Little Mermaid is your favorite romantic comedy <laughs>
14: I, no, because I don't I don't think it's either of those. I mean I think it's a it's a children's tale that leans heavily into a romantic relationship between two people, but it's you know also a musical, you know. Um there's comic relief, but I don't think yeah, it's a When comedy, when
2: so. Renee uh, <laughs> uh, what's his name? Odo from you know Beauty Space Nine is singing Les Poissons, Les Poissons. Yes, you're not yeah. you're not cracking up.
14: Yeah, uh, yeah, I like that one. I like those, uh, those I still like are... the crab the most. I like I like him the most. But um mm. Also, yes, going back, yeah, going back go to ahead. something you touched on earlier, I think a lot of times that romantic comedies centered towards men tend to just be labeled comedies. Mm-hmm. When we were talking about this, like, three collars ago, I was thinking, gosh, what's that movie that's, like, Emma Stone's, like, the hot high school girl, and then there's oh, two guys. A. No, no, I don't think it's that one. It's the one where it's, like, there's a fat guy and a skinny guy, and the fat guy had oh. a when he was a kid mm-hmm. where he would just, like, had had a quirk where he had to draw penises all the time. I was like I – I remember that as – The just, one with
2: McStuffin. Like, McLovin. Yeah,
14: it was that one. McLovin. Yeah, that one. Uh, what's that movie? It was like – Superbad. Bad. Yeah, that's like a rom – is that not a rom-com? I, I feel like it. 100%. I mean, like, yeah, but it's just like – it's just called a comedy. It's just know. like
2: Bridesmaids came up in a lot of the lists I was looking at for romantic comedy. But a lot of men do like Bridesmaids because apart from it being full of women and called Bridesmaids, it is yeah. a slapstick kind of masculine, if you will, humor – it's just women doing it. And it's funny that that gets, I think that gets put on the genre list of romantic comedy because they're literally women involved, even though in time, in terms of the kind of movie it is, it's literally super bad. Yeah. It's adult female super bad.
14: So maybe this is just an advertising thing where rom coms, you know, just somewhere along the way, the subtext there is this isn't for you men, this is for women, even though mm-hmm. you could watch it and enjoy it just as much as Super Bad,
2: yeah, um, which sure. we call a
14: comedy. So <laughs> For
2: sure. See how yeah. fruitful that was, Matt. Okay, now bring us all down and let's talk about Ukraine.
14: Super <laughs> oh. <laughs> strong. Um. I I'm really regretting that I didn't make it in with your two guests, John. This, what I want to talk about, I think you'll you'll uh, be able to respond to from a matter of ph- philosophy, because this is not about uh, the details of what's happening there. Um. But something I've heard a lot of people, uh, a lot of people, uh, demonstrate or kind of narrative that I've heard a lot of people support, including, you know, I believe it was your female guest early on, was uh, something of, of along the line where they're saying, you know, why didn't NATO just say it would never accept Ukraine? Why did not NATO go into the, the Baltic States? Um, why didn't we resolve to just keep them in Russia's sphere of influence? And to me, uh, that, immediately, that immediately strikes me as an imperialist line of thought where you were saying that these smaller nations are supposed to be treated as bargaining chips between larger powers uh, for their own security purposes. And to me, that's not different between the the French and the English drawing lines across the Middle East. Um, and so I wonder if you have a, a reaction to that, because I see a lot of people out there who who are engaging in that line of thought who would like to turn themselves as anti-imperialists and acting like Russia has, you know, this right to use Ukraine Ukraine as a security buffer. And to me, it's like, well, they don't have any more right than, you know, the Polish or the Romanians, which are also touching Ukraine. And they certainly don't have more right than the Ukrainians themselves to their own sovereignty, to pursue their own military uh, capabilities, and to pursue their own military alliances. So I I think the argument is
2: that regardless the countries are being used as pawns and saying that America should no longer participate in the tug of war over who's in whose sphere of influence and the default being then that it becomes in Russia's sphere of influence is a better outcome than America saying, no, no, you have to stay in my sphere of influence and getting into a direct conflict with another nuclear power. So it's, it's not saying it's a good thing, but I advocate for people for, for countries that are not these superpowers to be caught in the middle in this way, but we can only control one side of it, and the conflict right now is between two, two superpowers who are doing this tug of war. Do you know what I'm saying? So she's, she's not saying Jen, – Jen Briney is saying – isn't saying we should, we should respect Russia's fear of influence. It's just that we should stop doing that imperialism our, on our own, and that's I, the best – I mean, that's all we have control over unless you want to you know, do a war.
14: I agree with the notion that we should stop doing the imperialism on our own, but I think what I was hearing from her, or maybe I just inferred it and I shouldn't have, but definitely what I've heard from other people is this idea that, you know, even though Ukraine the population of Ukraine is leaning more and more towards European engagement and, 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 and engaging with NATO just because of this this reason we now see, you know, with Russian annexation of Crimea supporting separatists in 2014. And now this war, um, people are saying we should just disregard that and kind of throw it back to Russia because they they deserve Ukraine because we got the Baltics, you know, so, something of that line. Or it was a bad idea to uh, accept the Baltic states into NATO because that penetrated Russian sphere of influence, even though these small You know, Baltic states have like 3 million people and wanted, you know, a NATO umbrella to protect them from a power that had formerly occupied them or, you know, forced them into its uh,
2: reign. I mean, again, I do not care to have any authority, don't know, and truly I'm trying to mind my own business because it's not worth it. And I got to say, some of you guys are real pieces of work. And I have no interest in having this fight with some of y'all. I don't care. If y'all don't like my commentary, go find it elsewhere. I won't say a word about it. I don't want to talk about this, okay? okay. I've got to tell you, I had a bad week. I don't want to talk about it. However, my understanding of listening to other people, and if you don't like what's about to come in my mouth, take it up with the other people whose things that I've read. <laughs> my understanding is that there is a, a genuine question when it comes to this self-determination issue because of the extent to which the West A.K.A. America has influenced what people on the ground think about what side they want to ally with, and that it's ultimately a constrained choice. If you want to be a part of the West because you're afraid of from Russia, that's a different thing from just wanting to be, you know, part of what Jen is describing as the world trade system and neoliberalism and all of this stuff. If you, you know, don't want to be a part of neoliberalism, and so maybe you, you know, or whatever it is, and so now, or you have cultural ethnic identities with Russia that doesn't mean you necessarily want to be with Russia if you just have an an opposition to the West. Like you're, you're in between, no matter what you're caught in between. And a lot of people are making claims about who wants what. And I think there is some evidence that yes, sure. Majorities do want the West, but when you've had the level of involvement that America has had in Ukraine and the propaganda that's existed, of course, there has been propaganda from Russia as well, Then it's just very difficult to determine what kind of choices would be made absent all of those constraints. And so I, I'm not certainly going to sit here and opine about what the Ukrainian people want. There's obviously a diversity of opinion within Ukraine, hence civil war. But I, I, all I know, and I think that the, the position that a lot of American leftists take, is that we can control our shit only. And the, to the extent that America is trying to, has been historically trying to influence outcomes and opinions in Ukraine, that certainly is not our lane. And it's not just them saying, oh, you can come over to the West if you want to. No, it's us actively propagandizing and influencing and picking leadership and doing coups, et cetera. And so in that context, framing it as though people are making a free choice and that we should just kind of like nonchalantly support that choice is just inaccurate.
14: Okay. I yeah, I, no, you said you just said you don't want to talk about it, so I won't respond to that. Although <laughs> I, would, I would have a bone to pick with, like, people's interpretations of the Newland Piatt transcript and stuff. But I won't go into it because you said you're done, and I appreciate you.
2: And, like, I don't understand but, why know, people want to ask me things that I don't know about them. Like, why do you want to talk to me about it? Go talk to – look, Aaron and all the people who know a lot more are on this very platform probably doing a show at this very same time. <laughs> so it's like I don't – I don't I, – I don't, I don't know. I, I don't I, have. I'm. I'm figuring it out. I'm listening to the stuff that you guys are listening to. You know.
14: I think people. Yeah. I mean, people. You just mentioned people I don't even really know about. You know. People find you and maybe not other outlets to engage in this kind of conversation. And well, I think a lot go, of it is- go to
2: the comments of the of the Matt Des video and search for you know dumb bitch. Why don't you have Aaron, uh, everybody on, they, they name all the people that I'm too stupid to have on. And so you can definitely find all of, all of those names in the comments of every video associated with
14: the Matt Dust interview. And that's that's wholly Abby inappropriate. Martin. Yeah, that's wholly inappropriate. People <laughs> to, to talk like this. I think well, I, I wish people can can identify. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I wish people could identify that even that we've all grown up in different places. We have different influences, different parents, different school teachers. Grew up in different parts of the country. We get different information feeds. Let's judge people by what they're really trying to accomplish. Like, do we think Brianna Joy Gray is trying to injure humankind or help it reach a better place? If she's trying no, to help it reach am, a better place, I am a like. You, you know, know page <laughs> chill yeah.
2: of the state yeah. department
14: <laughs> right so yeah yeah, yeah. but thank anyway. you i I don't want to get in the way of anyone else i was i just wanted to get that off my chest and this was you know an avenue for me to bring my one little voice to a to the conversation but <laughs> well i you appreciate have you and thank you for humoring
2: night. my um prelude that i made
15: you go through all right you have welcome. a good
2: one all Bye. right caleb what is on the dome tonight
15: Hey, can you hear me? Okay. I can. Hey, so I actually wanted to ask you what would be your top three uh, favorite Luther hidden gems? Oh, wow.
2: Okay. Okay. Hidden gems. So you're saying like, don't say something obvious, like never too much.
15: Yeah. Like, like maybe lesser known songs, or it could even be like a cover that he did that really highlights his dynamism as an artist.
2: (laughs) I love this question. Is Brian still here? Uh, Brian Brian would love this if he were still here. Okay, I'm pulling up. I did a thread about this because it was um, Luther Vandross's 70th birthday, April 20th, 2021. Ooh, April 20th. Wow. I didn't believe that's Hitler's birthday, but we're going to put that aside. So, in honor of Luther Vandross's birth, 70th birthday, my top five songs that aren't never too much, which is on everyone's mm-hmm. top five, I said, You stopped Loving Me. Mm. I still agree. I stand by that. Yeah. Any love, I stand mm-hmm. by that as well. Don't you know that? Oh, These are some mm. great choices, Brianna, of 2021. You were really, you're really Those using good. Your noggin. So amazing. Mm, so amazing. To That's a be good one. Loved. Yeah. And the house is not a home, which is not a deep
15: That's debt, great.
2: But it's yeah. excellent. Yeah. I'm I'm like, I feel like I did good. I don't know. What What that are is- yours?
15: I would say, um, so Top for me would be uh, The Glow of Love, him with Change. Uh, it just, it it has a, a rhythm going throughout the song that I feel like is uncommon in his songs. So it really almost has kind of like a disco element to it. So I really love that one. And I would also put his cover of Buy Me a Rose. Um, it's a country song and it's like a country storytelling song. And he does it in in an R&B uh uh, sense so I think that one was really amazing Rose. yeah that one's really good I
2: don't know either of those
15: yeah and then also his version of love the one you're with which is oh like yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 those be um, my that's
2: favorite. on my workout playlist
15: yeah um, okay well thank then, you for that
2: let's so go ahead go ahead
15: yeah um, my, my other thing that I wanted to um, ask what or mention was um, I really really love uh, your episodes with Marianne Williamson and i just love her fusion of spirituality and politics and i also feel like that's that's why i love your show so much because that's really the energy that i uh, that i get from your show and um there was this book uh called american prophets by jack jenkins and mm-hmm. it's it's about um basically like the religious left in in america um and it discusses uh like reverend dr barber it discusses um like standing rock and just different moments in modern american history that like a spirituality and um political engagement fuse together so i thought maybe that would be of interest to you
2: what's the name of the book again
15: it's called american prophets and it's by jack jenkins
2: all right thank you for the recommendation
15: yeah so um anyway thank you again and um yeah just can't wait to keep listening
2: thank you i'm oh glow of love of course sorry i just i don't i never thought of the title of this it's a great one yeah it's it's a it's a classic although i will say you know what's funny as someone who's not like a a hip-hop head Mm -hmm. which is the elder millennial way of talking (laughs) Um, I'm often dating these guys who, like, try to clown me for my lack of art and, like, hip-hop knowledge. And then they'll, uh, like, not know a lot of the musical references of the music that they love comes mm, from because, you know, their parents yeah. didn't raised them, right? <laughs> yeah. And then play I, this music for them.
15: Yeah. I, I, and, wanted to, yeah, go yeah ahead. I wanted to bring that up with you, too. Just, like, soul music and R&B music is quite possibly the most sorry about that influential form of music today and i, I feel like r&b's influence is almost under under notice in some sense
2: r&b is the romantic comedy of music <laughs> <laughs> hear me out it gets a lot of disrespect like people are like oh i don't mm-hmm. like r&b oh, I don't mm-hmm. I mean. and you know there's like some racial aspects to that that i don't love But it's also a lot of people talking about stuff that they're not really familiar with. So they're imagining Mm -hmm. like – I don't know what they're imagining. Some like church lady belting somewhere. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like there's just – it's just – you know, the, there's all of this stuff about how the R&B, R&B awards get so marginalized and singers get funneled off there and they don't get prime time. You know, there's never R&B performances. Yeah. And, you know, there's just a lot of cultural ignorance about what goes on in R&B. And when R&B becomes popular, when a song becomes popular, they put it in a more popular category like hip hop. Right. You know, yeah, or pop music. That's
15: so true. They, they yeah, define it out true. of
2: being R&B because they like it. Yeah. The same way people define stuff out of being a romantic comedy because they like that's it.
15: That's so true. Yeah, like when, when Usher was worldwide around 2004, mm-hmm. they put him in the pop category, you mm-hmm.
2: know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and also I think it's disliked for some of the same reasons people dislike romantic comedy in terms of folks think it's too saccharine or mm-hmm. too obvious or lacking an artistic merit, you know, mm-hmm. l- lacking in sophistication. None of which I think, I mean, obviously there's some of it that's bad. It's like some yeah. of everything that's bad, but I mm-hmm. don't think it's true. And when you listen to someone like mm-hmm. Luther, who is such an artist I also think that yeah. vocalists, generally speaking, don't get the same respect as musicians, as people who play instruments.
12: Absolutely. And there's
2: not enough recognition of the artistry and the um, uh, music writing that happens through vocalization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you were talking about covers. I think that someone mm-hmm. like Luther Vandross, like, not everyone can do a cover that improves upon the original or adds no. something to the original. Oh, yeah. And I think Aretha Franklin doesn't get enough credit for being mm. one of the best cover artists of all time. Absolutely. And therefore, frankly, I, I think that's a kind of songwriting. Like she's basically rewriting songs with her Absolutely. voice as she's going.
15: Absolutely. Yeah. And
2: I, I've had, yeah, go ahead, please. Go ahead.
15: Yeah. I just wanted to mention like, for example, like Otis Redding writing Respect and then her version of it completely mm-hmm. upending his. Mm-hmm. So just wanted to agree with you.
2: Yeah. 100%. And I've had these conversations with guys. Sorry. It has been guys who are like, uh, Beyonce's not a real artist and da-da-da. And who the people who they think are real artists are like it's a guy with a guitar in his hand. And I get yeah. it. Like I no shade to guys with guitars in their hands. Mm-hmm. But I do think that a lot of this is this like cultural bias it that it has nothing it to do with music on its merits. And and that's my only problem. You can objectively not like something or like subjectively just have your preferences. That's fine. But there yeah. is a way that people talk about what is and is not art that are so socially circumscribed in a way that's invisible to them but very visible to me. And it, I will it, visibilize it on this here podcast.
15: <laughs> yeah, it it absolutely is. Um and like and as as you were um mentioning like there's an art to vocals um, like in extreme art to vocals there's this is a very random example, but, um, the red hot chili Pepper's two thousand and six album, their lead guitarist was only listening to Brandy for the entire making of the album because huh. he considered her voice to be such an art that it was influencing all of his guitar riffs, you know, so that's kind huh. of like that's kind of like a merging of the you know white and black musical worlds but uh, I think that that's just an example of like the extreme just art of of vocals that often goes unnoticed. And there absolutely is a racial element to that, I would say as well.
2: I love that example. I love that example. Thank you, Caleb. I really enjoyed that.
15: Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one.
2: You too. We are at the two hour mark, so I didn't warn you that we were wrapping up. So let's take Bells as our last caller this evening. What's on your mind, Bells? You're going to have to unmute yourself using the little mic in the bottom right. There you go. Hey, Brady, can you hear me? I can hear you. What's on your mind? Hello, hello? Hey, you're fiddling around a bit. You're not the clearest. Can you try speaking again?
16: Wait a minute. I think I got it figured out.
2: There you go. Yeah. Tell me what's on your mind.
16: So, um... So happy to finally get on here. Um, heretical Android user, finally happy to <laughs> get in here. <laughs> um, uh, first off, I just want to say it like totally breaks my heart when you have to like constantly be apologetic about having to like take a break from work because I, I don't know, like the in our like socialist utopia world, we all wouldn't be like working our asses off right so like you're allowed to take like a quote-unquote vacation with a podcast episode i don't know it just makes no sense to me when people are like why are you talking about this it's like, I well know. i will say most Whatever. of you
2: are are really great and understanding and i don't mean to be a big baby about it uh but you're the <laughs> I've spoken to today outside of one hinge call date so you are my uh Friend group right now, and I am unfairly emotionally offloading to you. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what that is. (laughs) Um, I appreciate you. Thank you, Bells.
16: Um, but I wanted to. Okay, next, did you see Arcane? Because I remember you got some suggestions to watch that. Like, no,
2: you're right. Though I need to start. The problem is, I open the suggestions up in a tab. And if my computer reboots before I get to the tab, then I lose everything. So I need to start writing things down with the pen and paper. Mm-hmm. But, okay, Arcane. I did not watch Arcane yet. It's on Netflix, though. Yep. Maybe I'll watch it tonight. Yes. There's no – it's not really
16: romance. I know that's something we've been talking about a lot today, but I don't know. Just talking about media made me think about it.
2: No, thanks for reminding me. But um, on the romance tip, did yeah. you have thoughts and feelings? Um.
16: Not specifically romance, but um, like media in general, when you're talking about Mm -hmm. Star Trek and I don't know, like with Discovery being this like gritty, dark thing, I don't know. I I have this sense that people these days like really struggle trying to imagine like what a better – future like looks like mm-hmm. so it's like it that doesn't really like translate into like movies and stuff because and I think it's also part of why like we're always seeing like remakes of old stuff it's because like we knew how to do it back then so we'll just do it again now but we like don't know how to be like imaginative or something I, I don't know
2: mm-hmm. I wonder if but, there's a like relationship- that mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead.
16: No
2: no, go, go, go. Well, I was just wondering if there's a relationship between this idea that people don't really people think it's kind of cheap and unrealistic when romances work out in movies, but also seem to be resisting the idea of imagining a future in sci-fi where things work out. You know, if that's a similar kind of cynicism where Gene Roddenberry had a vision where, yeah, 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 like there's still conflict, but we can actually be better. And people who write romantic comedies are like, yeah, yeah, there's obviously conflicts between the meet cute and the end, but it can work out. And in other genres, that is sometimes perceived to be, or in all genres, that is perceived to be something cheap and easy. And it's part of why people don't like, some people don't like Star Trek and it's part of why people... Some people don't like romantic comedies. And I, I don't know. I guess I wish we lived in a world that wasn't so cynical that they saw a happy ending or positive resolution as lowbrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know.
16: Maybe another thought I had, too, is that, like, because the world just seems it just gets it seems to just get bleaker and bleaker. Like, when you, when you make up, make a thing that is, like, you're trying to envision the future, I think, like, with media, there's, like, a needle you have to thread between what's, like, too utopian that it's, like, nobody would buy into it, and then, Mm -hmm. like, also, like, too, like, grim dark that it's, it just depresses people, right? So, I think that. I feel like that window is is like shrinking, which might be like part of why we don't see stuff like next generation more often.
2: Yeah, am I, I mean, making so-
0: sense?
2: No, no, I, you you are. I, I mean, I sometimes I just wonder if is it really that things are different than they used to be, and people are more cynical than they used to be, or is it just that you have somehow. You sometimes have these unique figures like Gene Roddenberry who had a vision, and it wasn't really a chronological issue such that occasionally you have visionaries that break through whenever it happens, and we're just waiting for someone who is willing to aspire in that way. I mean, there are shows... I was thinking about like Lost in Space, uh, which, of course, is a reboot, but... (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's there's conf- they're not in any utopia by any means, but they are kind of the best and the brightest, right, who have been put on this ship because they're the best and the brightest, and they've taken every test, and they've passed the test, and it's a family, and they love each other. There's some conflict, but they love each other, and the one fly in the ointment is the woman who snuck onto the ship, like the evil doctor, Parker Posey, you know, mm-hmm. and even though there is the evil doctor and there's conflict... I like that show in part because it does have that competence porn thing that Star Trek has going on and the West Wing has going on where there's the conflict. But, you know, everyone's good at their jobs and everyone's smart and they're going to think their way out of it in a way that's creative and interesting, kind of like in a Sherlock Holmes, you know, vignette. You know, you're, right. you, you, the, the excitement isn't that nothing works out and it's bleak and terrible. It's like watching how the genius mind is going to work this out. Yeah. And being impressed by how amazing everybody is. And I don't know, like, I I, I, I like that. I don't know. know, Maybe that's my, like, weird type A brain. But I I really do like that. And I like that those kinds of ideas can be put in service of these kind of philosophical ideals that we we don't have representation for in everyday life. And it is, I think, very perverse that we have genres like fantasy and sci-fi, and they are so uniformly unpleasant. (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's like when people complain like when they make a black character in one of these sci fi stories and they're like, Oh, you can't have a black person in fairy land. <laughs> Fairies are white, didn't you know? It's it's that's like that. It's like so that's much. that's how limited our imaginations are. Like how can we yeah, expect us exactly. to think of a utopia when you can't even imagine like, you know, an Asian fairy? <laughs> <You
16: know? laughs> right, right, right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're working well, on it. Maybe I, I'll, I'll write this book. <laughs>
16: <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, okay. So in defense of fantasy, mm-hmm. um, there's a book series. I think it was suggested both earlier, but um, it's one I am absolutely obsessed with. Um, it's called the Stormlight Archives. Mm. Um, and I think it does a lot of the stuff that, that like seeing the sort of the hero like actually work through a thing like like the genius of it like you were saying um mm-hmm. and I, I don't know it, it's not um it's not based in like real world or anything it's definitely there's like magic and stuff like that mm-hmm. but um yeah like i don't know the characters are like they all have very like real struggles that they sort of have to like work through, but they, but they're like also able to do that and like save the world. So <laughs> I well, don't you know. Have to hear That's it. my suggestion for you.
2: Okay. Well, I'm opening this in a tab as well. The Stormlight they're Archive really by Brandon life. Sanderson.
16: Yes. They're very long, but they're so good.
2: Well, do they, do you rip through them like the other black girl? Cause, cause long, but simple is it is a formula that works um
16: i mean i rip through them because i just get it so like invested <laughs> so i like i don't want to stop
2: but okay, I'm, I'm seeing the first one's yeah. 1200 1258 pages
16: <laughs> yeah I, no i i mean i listened to all of them audiobook I, I didn't actually read them but i have a job where like i work in a warehouse so i was mm. able to like you know i just put my headphones in and listen for eight hours or whatever
2: yeah all right okay i mean (sighs) 1,250 pages (laughs) i can read this or i can read four other books
16: (laughs) yeah it's huge i get it but i don't know it it was totally worth it for me at least
2: okay i'm gonna keep an i'm gonna i'm gonna keep this tab open and we'll let fate decide (laughs) whether or not i get to this before my computer reboots and i lose everything fair enough <laughs> i appreciate your suggestion bell and thank you for calling in yeah thank you thank you to everyone i had a lot of fun today i never know exactly how y'all are going to feel when i don't talk about the topic of the day and indulge in a little pop culture stuff but i think we all deserved a break and i hope you enjoyed it i thought we got to some interesting truths today like this felt very socratic and it makes me almost want to write a um what do you call it uh what's the the platform that everyone said was evil but now everyone's on it so it's not evil substack makes me want to write a substack uh entry on some thoughts and feelings about romantic comedies and r&b and the gender dynamics here but i probably won't so in lieu of that feel free to clip the parts of this episode that you found to be most interesting you can download them into an audiogram and post them to social media, or you can post them directly, but it's always nice to have the, you know, the little like words coming up on the bottom and the pictures. Um, when you clip the things, it makes it really easy for me to push to social media, and I appreciate it if you want to do that free labor for me. Some of you really went over time in doing it in the last couple of episodes, and I really appreciated that, and I think it's helped to bring more ears on this podcast So kudos to you. I appreciate all of you. I really value this community. Um, And I'm going to play us out today with a little bit of one of the best live performances you're ever going to hear. The one and only Luther Vandross performing at the 1988 NAACP Image Awards, A House is Not a Home.
8: a house is not a home when there's no one there, so hold you tight and no one there that you can be, good night, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, hello, bye-bye, baby, Yeah, 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 a room is still a room, even when there's nothing in there but gloom. Heart. yeah, now and then, now, I call your name, and suddenly your face appears. little darling have a heart hey, yeah baby and don't let one mistake keep us apart I was wrong and I know it forgive me honey cause I Oh, baby, please be there And still in
0: love
8: I say are coming. Amazing.